millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. Naturalhempoil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Visit naturalhempoil.com. That's naturalhempoil.com. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now. Something wicked is coming this way, and only fools are ignoring the signs. So it's time you became a financial prepper like thousands of others. Gold can travel anywhere. It's international. It's its own currency. Allocate to gold now, the timeless safe haven asset. Open an IRA with noble gold investments to physically hold coins and bars and let real, tangible gold, not just paper, save your portfolio as the economy burns again. Right now, Noble Gold Investments offers a free 3-ounce silver American virtue coin with every qualified IRA. Just use the promo code GOLD to claim your free coin and secure your family's financial future. 
future. Go to noblegoldinvestments.com. Now, noblegoldinvestments.com. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Investing in precious metals, including gold, involves risks. Consult with your tax attorney or financial professional before making an investment decision. All right, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? Let's go ahead and fire this thing up. I see that we have like 50 people waiting out there in the Rumble live stream, which means there's a lot of people out there like me who are just gluttons for punishment that want to tune into this knowing that this is going to be, what, like six hours of Christopher Ray deflecting and saying that, uh, oh, I can't comment on that matter because it's an ongoing investigation. Oh, I don't recall. I don't remember. Blah, 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 blah. This dude is a master of deflection. And, uh, but it, it could be interesting. We'll see. We know that Jim Jordan, uh, the House Judiciary Committee, they are going to be bringing in Christopher Ray today to grill him on the weaponization of the FBI at the hands of both Christopher Ray and Merrick Garland. Now, unfortunately, uh, Merrick Garland, he's not slated to, slated to testify before Congress until September. Um, now, that date could change. I remember not long ago, Kevin McCarthy was saying, you know, this IRS whistleblower, Gary Shapley, uh, if you know who says that basically the, the DOJ had their thumb on the scale in the Weiss investigation into Hunter Biden and prevented the execution of search warrants and uh, prevented David Weiss from bringing charges and blocked him from getting special counsel status. You know, David Weiss way back in, I think it was October 2022, was in a meeting with several FBI agents, uh, Gary Shapley and another IRS agent. And he said, you know, I'm not the charging authority here. I'm not the I'm not the one controlling this investigation, right? And you know, so so Kevin McCarthy says, well, if what the IRS whistleblower says is true, then we are going to begin impeachment proceedings on Merrick Garland by July 6th. Well, I don't know if you guys have checked your calendars lately, but it's uh it's July 12th. And that just kind of very quickly dissipated into the the stratosphere along with everything else Kevin McCarthy has promised. And I think we all just have a bad taste in our mouth and are just sick of the limp-wristed Republicans allowing these Marxist, communist criminals to walk free, you know? So, uh, you know, I say this could be interesting, but, you know, they're going to grill, they're going to grill Christopher Ray on the uh, the FBI's censorship through social media, the political persecution of Donald Trump, the systematic cover-up of the crimes of the Biden crime family syndicate, and all that stuff, right? But, you know, uh, Christopher Ray is going to continually deflect to the fact that all of that is part of an ongoing investigation. <laughs> so I don't know what we're going to accomplish today. Uh, but I, th I think we should definitely start a drinking game where people, you know, take a shot of tequila every time he says that. You know, every time he says it, sorry, I can't comment on that. It's part of an ongoing investigation. Take a shot. I know it's early, but it, it should be fun. And you should be wasted by the first 30 minutes. Now, I don't drink, so I can't participate. But, you know, those of you out there that do partake in the alcohols, you may have a little fun with that one. Bones Mamas here says, good morning. GD it. So, uh, Debbie F says, GD it. So sick of the crooks in D.C. getting away with crimes and as well as FBI criminals. Yes, we are all 
We're all sick of it. You know, and and there's not much time left before all these people go on vacation too. So I think what what we're going to what we're going to get today is uh you know some clips, some sound bites, some 2-minute clips of uh you know people talking about how the American people are sick and tired of it and making some really good points and then, you know, not following that up with any action. KSK says going to be the same crap that comes out of his mouth. Yeah, we've been here before. We've done this before. <laughs> we know what to expect. It's kind of sad at this point. All right, let's see where we're at. So uh, it should be starting any moment now. And while we wait, I saw this interesting story. Maybe I can pull that up. It's actually a Fox News story that's actually fairly encouraging and so while I'm sitting here, you know, dooming and blackpilling, maybe I could share that with you guys, and it might uplift your spirits a little bit. Georgia Democrat defects to GOP after she says Dems crucified and abandoned her. She says Democrats have gotten away with using and abusing the black community, and this is uh, Maisha Maynard, okay, and she represents a district in Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. An extremely, extremely blue district. She is switching over to the GOP after uh, the Democrats crucified her for supporting school choice. You guys got to get a load of this one. It's actually the, the, the stuff that she has to say about the Democrat Party as a whole is uh, very significant and exemplifies a story that we've seen time and time again. I mean, how many, how many Democrats have basically come out and said, you know, the Democrat Party has gone too far and I'm sick and tired of it and I can't take it anymore. So she's a, a Peach State lawmaker who angered her Democrat colleagues in the Georgia State House of Representatives over her support for a recent school choice bill has announced she is officially switching parties. Maisha Mayner, a Democrat who has represented District 56 in the Georgia House since January 2021, announced the decision shortly before noon Tuesday that she will switch her party resignation to Republican. She said, when I decided to stand up on behalf of disadvantaged children in support of school choice, my Democrat colleagues didn't stand by me. They crucified me. When I decided to stand up in support of safe communities and refused to support efforts to defund the police, they didn't back me. They abandoned me. Okay, so that's two strikes. She supported school choice and didn't support defunding the police in Atlanta, <laughs> and that's probably because she has common sense and doesn't want to be uh, gunned down in the street. So this is the thing. You know, Democrats, they have one thing that works to their advantage, and that is that they are so radical, and they, they, they all march in lockstep, right? They, are, they have this, uh, this perception of unity, right? And really, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, uh, they're, they're freaking bullies, right? It gives the perception that they're all unified under one banner, and they march in lockstep, and, and they're very effective at uh, moving their agenda. But in reality, there's a lot of Democrats that quietly suffer and disagree with a lot of the, the radical policies that have become interwoven into the Democrat Party. And she's probably one of many, right? And so, on one hand, they're effective at moving their agenda. But, you know, when somebody actually grows some balls and steps out of line even slightly and they completely crucify and abandon her, it sends a message across the board that 
you know, this 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 party has gone absolutely insane. So she goes on to say, for far too long, the Democrat Party has gotten away with using and abusing the black community. And she herself is a black woman. For decades, the Democrat Party has received the support of more than 90% of the black community. And what do we have to show for it? That's a great question. What do we have to show for it? She says, I represent a solidly blue district in the city of Atlanta. This isn't a political decision for me. It's a moral one. And that's pretty much the gist of it. Oh, no, actually, I have a couple more things highlighted. She goes on to say her justification for supporting school choice is that uh, some of the schools in her district have 3% reading proficiency rates and that many kids cannot do simple math. She says, I have a few colleagues upset with me to the point that they are giving away $1,000 checks to anybody that will run against me. Uh, she continued, I'm not apologizing because my colleagues don't like how I vote. It's ironic. And she says, I'll say every election year, I hear Black Lives Matter. But do they? I see every other minority being prioritized except black children living in poverty that can't read. And that's that's that about sums it up. How how hypocritical the Democrats are when they sit there and say they support affirmative action. You know, because uh, otherwise uh, uh, black people can't get ahead, right? But when it comes to school choice, for some reason, the Democrats are total hypocrites. And 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 the reason is simple. The reason that they want to keep these minority inner city inner city kids in the, uh, uh, the 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 failing school system that they're in is because they want to keep these inner city kids locked in the union controlled schools, getting indoctrinated failing to get a decent education so that when they grow up, they don't stand a chance in life and live the rest of their lives on the Democrat plantation. Okay, and that's that's what it's all about. It's all about the the donors to the Democrat Party, and uh, by that, I mean the teachers' unions. Okay, it looks like we are going live with this House Judiciary hearing, so let me pull that up. Be sure to smash that like button as always. Subscribe to this channel if you haven't already. And I'm going to go ahead and step out. Where are we at? There it is. Okay. They're doing the Pledge of Allegiance. To the flag of the United States of America, to the Republic, which stands one nation, under God, indivisible, liberty, and justice. Chair now recognized himself for an opening statement. Eight days ago, eight days ago on July 4th in the Western District of Louisiana, the court found that the federal government suppressed Americans' First Amendment free speech rights. In his conclusion on page 154, the court said this, the judge said this, Plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits in establishing that the government has used its power to silence the opposition. Opposition to COVID-19 vaccines, opposition to COVID-19 mask and lockdowns, opposition to the lab leak theory of COVID-19, opposition to the validity of the 2020 election, opposition to President Biden's policies, statements that the Hunter Biden laptop was true, and opposition to policies of the government officials in power. 
all were suppressed. It is quite telling that each example or category of suppressed speech was conservative in nature. The court further writes, the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth. Specific to the FBI, the court said this, the FBI's failure to alert social media companies that the Biden laptop story was real and not Russian disinformation is particularly troubling. The FBI had the laptop in their possession since December 2019 and had warned social media companies repeatedly to look out for, quote, hack and dump operation by the Russians prior to the 2020 election. Even after Facebook specifically asked whether the laptop story was Russian disinformation, the FBI refused to comment, resulting in social media companies' suppression of this story, and as a result, millions... Millions of our fellow citizens did not hear the story prior to the November 3rd, 2020 election. Additionally, the FBI was included in industry meetings, bilateral meetings, received and forwarded alleged misinformation to social media companies, and actually misled companies in regard to the laptop story. When the court says the FBI misled, that's a nice way of saying they lied. They lied, and as a result, important information was kept from we the people, Days before the most important election we have, election of President of the United States, election of the Commander-in-Chief. In a survey last fall, four out of five Americans said they believe there's a two-tiered system of justice in America today. They said that because there is. They said that because of what they've witnessed. Think about what Americans have seen. The National School Board Association, left-wing political group, writes the White House and asks them to treat parents as, at school board meetings as terrorists. And the Garland Justice Department does just that. They put together a memo, set up a dedicated line of threat communication, a snitch line on parents. As a result, parents get investigated by our FBI, get a threat tag associated with their name, 25 of them, because the whistleblowers came and told us were investigated by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Americans have seen the FBI's Richmond Field Office put together a memorandum saying pro-life Catholics are extremists. They've seen 20 FBI agents, SWAT team members, show up at the home of Mark Halk and arrest him in front of his wife and seven children, even though he had indicated he'd be happy to turn himself in. And what was he arrested for? Him and his 12-year-old son were praying outside an abortion facility. Some guy starts screaming in his son's face, and he, and he did what, what, frankly, any dad would do, defended his child. What's interesting is the National School Board Association apologized for the letter, but the Attorney General refuses to rescind his directive. The FBI did rescind, thank goodness, the Richmond Catholic Memorandum, but they refused to tell Congress who wrote it and who approved it. And Mr. Halk, Mr. Halk, when he got his day in court, he was acquitted by a jury of his peers. American speech is censored. Parents are called terrorists. Catholics are called radicals. And I haven't even talked about the spying that took place of a presidential campaign or the raiding of a former president's home. But maybe what's more frightening is what happens if you come forward and tell Congress. If you're a whistleblower, come tell the legislature, come tell the Congress what's going on. Look out. You will be retaliated against. Ask Garrett O'Boyle, who told Congress about these issues. Took his clearance, 
They took his pay. They took his kids' clothes. Ask Gary Shapley, 14-year veteran at the IRS, handled some of the biggest international tax fraud cases at the agency. He comes forward, and the Justice Department kicks him off the case. But here's what's truly unbelievable. Here's what's amazing. With all that history, with all that, the Justice Department, the FBI, want the taxpayers they censored, the parents they labeled, the pro-life Catholics they called radical, they want them to pay for a new FBI headquarters. And they want FISA reauthorization of the 702 program in its current form. It's in, it's in the director's opening statement. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. There are 204,000 reasons why Republicans will oppose FISA reauthorization in its current form. 204,000 times the FBI improperly searched the 702 database. And unlike the FBI censorship in the court's opinion that was focused on conservatives, the FBI's illegal scrutiny wasn't just limited to conservatives. BLM supporters were illegally scrutinized by the FBI as well. And I hope our Democrat friends will join us in opposing reauthorization of Section 702 the way it's currently done. And I think they will. And I hope, and I hope they will work with us in the appropriations process to stop the weaponization of the government against the American people and in this double standard that exists now in our justice system. That I yield to the gentleman from New York for an opening statement. Mr. Chairman, not that long ago, an oversight hearing of the FBI in this committee would have been a relatively bipartisan exercise. My colleagues on both sides of the aisle would have asked legitimate questions about the functioning and mission of the Bureau. Some of the questions may have been tough. Debate may have gotten a little heated when we discussed important topics like privacy and discrimination. But our questioning would have been grounded in advancing and overseeing the FBI's dual missions of enforcing federal laws and countering national security threats on American soil. In short, despite our disagreements, we would have done our duty as members of the Judiciary Committee. Today, unfortunately, House Republicans will fall well short of that mark. For them, this hearing is little more than performance art. It is an elaborate show designed with only two purposes in mind, to protect Donald Trump from the consequences of his actions and to return him to the White House in the next election. Don't take my word for it. Chairman Jordan announced his plan last August, just days after the FBI searched Mar-a-Lago. He told an audience at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, that the investigation into Trump's wrongdoing was, was designed to, quote, help frame up the 2024 race when I hope and I think President Trump is going to run again. And we, make sure, we need to make sure that he wins. Let me repeat that. We need to make sure that he wins. In pursuit of this goal, Chairman Jordan and committee Republicans have claimed for months that the FBI is corrupt, rotten, politicized, and their favorite word, weaponized, against the American people. Chairman Jordan has launched an array of baseless investigations into the FBI, most premised on absurd conspiracy theories, so, some so absurd that the chairman cannot possibly believe them to be true. But this is where the extreme MAGA leadership of this Congress has brought us today. Today, House Republicans will attack the FBI for having had the audacity to treat Donald Trump like any other citizen. The strategy is simple, really. When in doubt, Chairman Jordan investigates the investigators. 
The FBI dared to hold Trump accountable, so Republicans must discredit the FBI at all costs. You will hear claims today that the FBI's decision to investigate Donald Trump was somehow unfair. You will hear that the Repu you will hear the Republicans attack the indictment of former President Trump on 37 counts related to his gross mishandling of national security information, including information regarding defense and weapons capabilities of both the United States and foreign countries, United States nuclear programs, potential vulnerabilities of the United States and its allies to military attack, and plans for possible retaliation in response to a foreign attack. The facts are made clear in the indictment. Quote, the unauthorized disclosure of these classified documents could put at risk the national security of the United States, foreign relations, the safety of the United States military, and human sources, and the continued viability of sensitive intelligence collection methods. Close quote. Indeed, the indictment goes on to describe how the former president made such unauthorized disclosures, with him boasting about and showing his classified documents to numerous individuals without proper security clearance. You will hear claims today that this indictment against Trump was unfair, maybe even that it was unlawful. You'll hear that the FBI should have just asked Trump a little more nicely, one more time, to hand over the documents. You'll hear that the case was a political investigation from the start, orient orchestrated by a liberal-loving liberal FBI that ensured Trump would be wrongfully vilified at every turn. These claims, of course, are completely untethered from the evidence. Even if you believe, as Chairman Jordan claims, that President Trump has committed no crime, surely we can agree that it is dangerous and profoundly irresponsible to have taken these documents from the White House and left them unsecured in Mar-a-Lago. Again, don't take just my word for it. Trump's Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, said that the former president's handling of this information put U.S. service members' lives and their national security at risk. <coughs> And Trump's hand-picked Attorney General, Bill Barr, with whom I agree on very little, hit the nail on the head when he described the former president's legal troubles as, quote, entirely of his own making. He had no right to those documents. The government tried for over a year, quietly and with respect, to get them back. And he jerked them around. When he faced a subpoena, he didn't raise any legal arguments. He engaged in a course of deceitful conduct. That was a clear crime, if those allegations are true, close quote. The former president could have, at any time, for months, simply returned the documents and avoided prosecution. But House Republicans do not want to talk about any of that. They seem incapable of assigning any agency or responsibility to Donald Trump for problems that are Trump's and Trump's alone. You might hear today about a man named Stephen D'Antuono, the former special agent in charge of the Washington field office during the investigation into the documents. Last month... Committee Republicans brought him in for an interview, and shortly after that, Chairman Jordan released a letter purporting to describe Mr. Duantuono's testimony. In fact, Chairman Jordan's summary of Mr. Duantuono's words are a vast mischaracterization of what he actually said. Here's just one example. Chairman Jordan has claimed that Mr. Duantuono said he had, quote, no idea, unquote, why the Mar-a-Lago investigation was run out of the FBI's Washington field office instead of the Miami field office. What the chairman hides is that just seconds later, Mr. D'Antuono explained that, quote, the venue was here, meaning Washington, D.C., for the classified documents, that it was, quote, not out of the ordinary for Washington to be lead office running the investigation 
and said that Washington has, quote, most experience and knowledge in working public corruption cases and are, quote, the experts in classified document investigations. Mr. Jordan did not share the full record with the American public because it does not fit his chosen narrative. My staff has worked to have a minimally redacted version of Mr. D'Antuono's full testimony released. And I urge you to read the words for yourself in their entirety. When you compare his actual words to Mr. Jordan's characterization, you'll understand why I feel like this hearing room has become a theater. And frankly, it goes for many things that we will hear from the Republicans today. You can expect to hear that the FBI is retaliating against its conservative employees and has a deep-seated conspiracy to support liberal candidates and ideology. These claims are based on the words of several individuals, people Republicans are somewhat laughably calling whistleblowers. In fact, evidence shows that these individuals were suspended for violating serious FBI policies. One provided an unauthorized interview to Russian state-owned media. Another leaked information about an ongoing investigation, placing FBI agents and witnesses at risk. And another said that he wanted to use a senior FBI official as, quote, target practice. Chairman Jordan invited some of these so-called whistleblowers to testify before the Weaponization Subcommittee in May. As it turns out, two of the witnesses were ultimately paid $250,000 each for their testimony, money raised in part by former Trump aide Cash Patel, and paid via a check whose memo line reads, quote, for holding the line. And yet Republicans today will try, the, will try to claim that it is the FBI and not these witnesses who are somehow corrupt. Republicans today will also attack President Biden, starting with the IRS investigation into Hunter Biden. They will ignore the fact that U.S. Attorney David Weiss had the authority to bring charges in any district he sought fit and was able to operate fully free of interference. They do not want to acknowledge that despite years of investigations, President Biden has not been found to have engaged in any wrongdoing. Instead, they'll try to convince you that Hunter Biden would have been charged with far more serious crimes had it not been for U.S. Attorney Weiss being blocked by the Biden political machine. Once again, when they do not like the outcome, they investigate the investigators and work to discredit the outcome. And Republicans will make false claims about the FBI's Foreign Influence Task Force, claiming that it is somehow censoring conservatives. In fact, the task force plays a key role in making sure that Russia, China, Iran, and other foreign entities cannot again interfere in our elections. According to committee Republicans, the task force's efforts to track and prevent foreign influence operations amount to attacks on conservative speech, a nonsensical claim considering that the Foreign Influence Task Force has nothing to do with censoring American free speech, and in fact, helps to ensure that American voices are heard by stopping Russian troll farms. Make no mistake, in making these claims, Republicans have all but rolled out the red carpet and begged Russia to once again interfere in our elections because they believe that doing so will get Trump reelected in 2024. And that is the goal of Republicans today. Republican claims that the FBI has been weaponized, their personal attacks on Director Ray, their repeated calls to, quote, to defund the FBI, these are not victimless acts. They are a clarion call to anti-government extremists, and that call is being heard. Last year, Director Ray faced multiple credible death threats. FBI employees faced more threats in the months after the Mar-a-Lago search than they had in the entire prior year.
The problem has gotten so bad that FBI has had to stand up an entire new unit dedicated to combating threats to FBI agents and staff. It is far past time that Republicans realize the consequences of their actions. Republicans may want to downplay Trump's behavior and blame the FBI for his downfall. But no matter what they say, Trump risked the safety and security of the United States to remove those documents from the White House, then lied to the government instead of returning them. Donald Trump must be held accountable, and attempts to shield him from the consequences of his own actions are both transparent and despicable. Ultimately, no matter how many times Republicans attack Director Ray or the FBI or the investigation at Mar-a-Lago, I trust in the rule of law. Mr. Trump will have his day in court. I believe the system will hold him accountable. And I thank the men and women of the FBI who helped bring the classified information to safety and protect the national security of our nation. Thank you for being here today, Director Ray. I hope your agents will not be disheartened by what they hear today and will continue this kind of work essential to the safety of our nation. I thank the chairman, and I yield back. Chairman yields back. Just for the record, the pronunciation of the former assistant director in charge of the Washington field office is Dan Tuano, something the ranking member might have known if he'd actually shown up at the deposition like I did. Uh, with that, we, uh, without objection, all other opening statements will be included in the record. We will now introduce today's witnesses. The Honorable Christopher Ray has been the director of the FBI since 2017. He previously served as the Assistant Attorney General for the Criminal Division of the Department of Justice, the Principal Associate Deputy Attorney General, and Associate Deputy Attorney General, and as Assistant U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Georgia. Director Ray has also worked in private practice at King Spalding LLP. We welcome our witness and thank him for appearing today. Uh, we will begin by swearing you in. Director, would you please rise, raise your right hand. You've done this, you've done this before. Do you swear, do you swear or affirm under penalty of perjury that the testimony you're about to give is true and correct to the best of your knowledge, information, and belief? So help you God. Let the record show the, the witness answered in the affirmative. Um, please know that your written testimony will be entered into the record in its entirety. Accordingly, we ask that you summarize your testimony in five minutes. We'll give you a few extra minutes if you like, Director. And then you know how this works. We'll be five minutes of questioning and my guess is every single member is going to have questions for you. So, uh, again, thank you for being here. Director Ray, you are recognized for your opening statement. Thank you. Good morning, Chairman Jordan, Ranking Member Nadler, members of the committee. Uh, in the time that I have before we get to your questions, I want to talk about the sheer breadth and impact of the work the FBI's 38,000 employees are doing each and every day because the work the men and women of the FBI do to protect the American people goes way beyond the one or two investigations that seem to capture all the headlines. Take violent crime. Last year alone, working shoulder to shoulder with our partners in state and local law enforcement, the FBI arrested more than 20,000. That's an average of almost 60 bad guys taken off the streets per day, every day or our work going after the cartels, exploiting our southwest border to traffic fentanyl and other dangerous drugs into communities nationwide. The FBI's running well over 300 investigations targeting the leadership of those cartels and working with our partners. We've already seized hundreds of kilograms of fentanyl this year alone, stopping deadly drugs from reaching their intended destinations in states all over the country and saving countless American lives. Or the thousands of active investigations we now have into the Chinese government's efforts 
to steal our most precious secrets, rob our businesses of their ideas and innovation, and repress freedom of speech right here in the United States. And that is just scratching the surface. The men and women of the FBI work tirelessly every day to protect the American people from what is really a staggering array of threats. And we don't do that work alone. The FBI now leads more than 750 task forces nationwide, made up of more than 6,000 state and local task force officers, or TFOs as we call them, from more than 1,800 different state and local agencies. Each of those TFOs represents an officer, a deputy, or an investigator that a local police chief, sheriff, or state superintendent was willing to send our way, certainly not because they didn't have enough work to do in their own department, but because they saw the tremendous value that our FBI-led task forces bring. And we are honored and humbled by their trust in us and grateful for their partnership. But the numbers don't tell the whole story. To truly appreciate the impact the FBI and our partners are having, you got to look at the cases. Just last month, for instance, the FBI charged 31 members of two drug trafficking organizations responsible for distributing dangerous drugs like fentanyl, cocaine, and methamphetamine throughout the area around Marion, Ohio. In that one investigation run out of the FBI's two-man office in Mansfield, we worked with partners from multiple local police departments and sheriff's offices to take kilos of fentanyl off Marion streets. Enough lethal doses, I should add, to kill the entire population of Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati combined. It's a great example of how even a small office with a small personnel footprint, the FBI is working big cases hand-in-hand -hand with our state and local partners to have an outsized impact in our communities. The FBI has got thousands of employees working scores of investigations like that all over the country to protect the American people. Those men and women who choose to dedicate their careers, their lives really, to this kind of work and fulfilling the FBI mission are inspiring. At a time when so many other law enforcement agencies have had a difficult time with recruiting and retention, the Bureau continues to attract applicants in near record numbers. In fact, after the first couple of years of my tenure, the number of Americans applying to be special agents tripled the pace from when I started, reaching the highest levels in about a decade. At the same time, inside the FBI, our special agent attrition has remained in the low single digits and would be the envy of almost any employer. And even with these bigger numbers, the folks we're continuing to add continue to be top-notch. The percentage of both veterans and special agent hires with prior law enforcement experience has remained as steady as ever, between 25 and 30 percent. Add to that in a job market where applicants have a whole lot of other opportunities, the percentage of those new agent trainees that also have advanced degrees is up and now approaches about 50% of every class at Quantico. But the thing that unites them all is a commitment to public service, a willingness to put others above themselves. And that is true from the bottom of the organization to the top. 
Since becoming director, I have worked hard to assemble and cultivate a leadership team that embodies those values and characteristics. It's a team that I purposefully chose because they walked the walk out in the field. Just taking our top eight leaders as an example, they all came up through the Bureau as line agents. They've worked in 21 different field offices and have a combined 130 years of field experience. They include a West Point grad, veterans of the Army, Air Force, and Marines, as well as a former police officer and state trooper. And not a single one is a political appointee, not one. Today's FBI leaders reflect the best of our organization, an organization that is made up of 38,000 men and women who are patriots, professionals, and dedicated public servants. And that is the real FBI. I've now visited every single one of our 56 field offices twice, some of them more than twice. I speak constantly with local chiefs and sheriffs from all 50 states who work closely with us every day, with judges coast to coast who see and hear our work up close, with business leaders who turn to us for help with cyber attacks and Chinese economic espionage, with victims and their families, people that we protect from gangs and predators, and the FBI they tell me about consistently, almost resoundingly, is the same FBI that I see, an FBI that is respected, appreciated, trusted, and that is there for them when they need us the most. And that is the FBI that inspires me and that I'm proud to be here today to represent. Thank you. Uh, we, we thank you. That, uh, we will now proceed under the five-minute rule with questions. The chair recognizes the gentleman from Louisiana, Mr. Johnson. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Director Ray, this is no time to mince words. The American people have lost faith in the FBI. All of our constituents are demanding that we get this situation under control, and we have to do that. That's our responsibility. This is not a political party issue, sir. This is about whether the very system of justice in our country can be trusted anymore. Without that, no republic can survive. See, the American people that we represent are losing count of the scandals that are mounting. The FBI has been involved. They've seen evidence that it's being used as a political tool of the Biden administration. They've seen counterterrorism resources being used against school parents, the homes of conservative political opponents being raided. They've seen conservative states being targeted over their election integrity laws and conservative Catholics and pro-life citizens characterized as violent extremists. Just last month, as you know, special former, uh, former special counsel John Durham sat right in that seat and testified that the Justice Department and the FBI should never have launched the bogus Trump-Russia investigation. And his lengthy report reluctantly concluded that the FBI, quote, failed to uphold its mission of strict fidelity to the law. Just last week, NBC had a poll. Only 37% of registered voters now view the FBI positively. 35% have a negative view. In 2018, by comparison, 52% of the country had a positive view of the FBI. There's a serious decline in the people's faith and it's on your watch, sir. And then, July 4th, we had this explosive, explosive 155-page opinion from a federal court in my home state of Louisiana. It explains in detail that the FBI has been directly involved in what the, the court says is, quote, arguably the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. The court ordered the White House, DOJ, and FBI, among others, to immediately cease colluding with and coercing social media companies to suppress American speech, of course, conservative speech in particular. Director Ray, I find it stunning. You made no mention of this court opinion either in your opening statement today or in this lengthy 14-page report that you prepared on 
July 12th, which is eight days after the court ruling. Have you read the ruling, sir? I am familiar with the ruling, and I've uh, reviewed it with our Office of General Counsel. Are you deeply disturbed by what they've told you about the ruling, if you haven't read it yourself? Uh, obviously, we're going to comply with the court's order, the court's preliminary injunction. We sent out guidance to the field and the headquarters uh, about how to do that. Uh, needless to say, the, the injunction itself is a subject of ongoing litigation, uh, and so I'll, I'll decline to comment further on Well, let me tell you what the court concluded, because it, it should be the first thing you think about every morning and the last thing you think about at night. They said that, quote, the court found, apparently the FBI engaged in a massive effort to suppress disfavored conservative speech and blatantly ignored the First Amendment's right to free speech. The evidence shows the FBI threatened adverse consequences to social media companies that they did not comply with its censorship request. The court found that, quote, this seemingly unrelenting pressure by the FBI and the other defendants had the intended result of suppressing millions of protected free speech postings by American citizens. As a result, the court states, for example, millions of citizens did not hear about the Hunter Biden laptop story prior to the November 3rd, 2020 election. Page four of the court ruling lists some of the important subjects that the Biden administration and the FBI forced the social media uh, platforms to suppress. The evidence shows you, your agency, the people that directly report to you, suppressed conservative-leaning free speech about topics like laptop, the lab leak theory of COVID-19's origin, the effectiveness of masks and COVID-19 lockdowns and vaccines, speech about election integrity in the 2020 presidential election, security of voting by mail, even parody about the president himself, negative posts about the economy. The FBI made the social media platforms pull that information off the Internet if it came from conservative sources. They, they did this under the guise that it was disinformation. Can you, can you define what disinformation is? What I can tell you is that our focus is not on disinformation, broadly speaking. Well, wait a minute. Yes, line. it is. Well, wait a minute. You're, can I you're, answer the question? You can in a minute. Your star witness said in the litigation, Elvis Chan, who's in charge of this, said they do it on the basis of dip, disinformation. We need, a, we need a definition of what that is. Our focus is on malign foreign disinformation, that is, foreign hostile actors who engage in covert efforts to Mr. abuse Ray, our Mr. social media platforms, which is something that is not seriously in dispute. I have to stop you for time. That's not accurate. You need to read this court opinion because you're in charge of enforcing it. The court has found that, and Elvis Chan testified under oath in charge of this for you. He said 50%. He had a 50% success rate in having alleged election disinformation taken down or censored. That, that wasn't just foreign adversaries, sir. That was American citizens. How do you answer for that? Well, first off, I'm not sure that's a correct characterization. It comes right out of the opinion. You should read what it. I, of, of his testimony. But what I would say is the FBI is not in the business of moderating content or causing any social media company to suppress or censor. That is not what the court has found. What I would also say is among the things that you listed off, I find ironic the reference to the lab leak theory, the idea that the FBI would somehow be involved in suppressing references to the lab leak theory is somewhat absurd when you consider the fact that the FBI was the only, the only agency in the entire intelligence community to reach the assessment that it was more likely than not that that was the explanation but your for the agents, pandemic. But your agents pulled it off the Internet, sir. That's what the evidence in the court has found. Time the gentleman has expired. The gentleman from New York is recognized. Director Ray, House Republicans have attacked the execution of the search warrant of Mar-a-Lago last August as a, quote, unprecedented raid. Would you consider the execution of the search warrant at Mar-a-Lago a raid? 
Uh, I would not call it a raid. I would call it the execution of a lawful search warrant. Can you describe how the search was executed? Well, we had the case team, uh, you know, follow its standard procedure. It has sometimes been described as a SWAT uh, operation. It was not. There was no SWAT involvement. Um, but beyond that, I think I want to be really careful with getting too far into the details now that this case is uh, not only in the hands of a special counsel, but more importantly, in my view, uh, in front of the court. And I learned a long time ago as a line prosecutor and defense lawyer to respect the, uh, the court process is where I think were, we should speak. Were particular steps taken to ensure that the execution of the search warrant did not draw undue attention? Uh, I think there were steps along those lines, yes, sir. Can you name a couple of them? Well, among, among other things, we did not uh, have people uh, coming in so-called raid jackets, uh, you know, which is often something you would see. So in other words, the FBI agents executing the search wore plain clothes so as not to attract undue attention. And the FBI waited until Trump had left Mar-a-Lago to execute the search. Is that correct? Yes. And Chairman Jordan has attacked the DOJ and the FBI for not attempting to get the documents back from Trump consensually before turning to a search warrant. I want to walk through all these, the opportunities Trump had to produce these documents and have a series of yes or no questions. The National Archives, also known as NARA, first asked Trump to return all presidential records to them in May 2021, correct? Well, I don't, I don't remember the date, but I remember there was a request by the okay. National Archives. And then throughout 2021, NARA made repeated follow-up requests, but still Trump replied to comply, correct? Uh, yes, I would refer you to the pleadings that have been filed in court that lay out in, in better detail than I could in hear. Fact, in yeah. fact, it was not until January 2022, after NARA warned Trump that failing to return documents could violate the Presidential Records Act, that Trump finally produced 15 boxes of documents to it, correct? Again, I, I would just refer to our court filings, which go into great detail about all this. And even these six, 15 boxes did not contain all the documents Trump was required to return, correct? That's my recollection, but again, I'll refer to So in to May 2022, a grand jury had to actually subpoena Trump for the missing documents, correct? The same answer. And Trump was then present on June 3rd when his attorneys handed over another folder of documents and a certification that all classified material had been returned, correct? Again, I just want, want to stick with what's in the court filings. That sounds right to me, but I, I really want to be careful to stay within the four corners. But the certification was false, right? Even then, Trump had not returned all classified uh, material, correct? I think that is part of the indictment. He had additional documents hiding in his bathroom, in his storage room, in his storage units, etc., yes? Again, I think that's part of the indictment. And so finally, DOJ and FBI were required to obtain a search warrant to obtain the classified documents that had not been retained, correct? Same answer. The documents retrieved during that search included 69 marked confidential 98 secret and 30 top secret. Is that correct? Same answer. So to sum up, President Trump had many, many chances to voluntarily comply with FBI and DOJ's requests. Instead, he made the choice to keep these highly classified defense and national security documents, apparently because he wanted a souvenir. I find myself in the strange position of agreeing with former Attorney General Bill Barr's statement that Trump brought this on himself, and I would add that it's absurd the House Republicans are attacking the FBI and DOJ for doing their job and ensuring that no person is above the law. I yield back. The gentleman yields back. The gentleman from Kentucky is recognized for five minutes. I thank the chairman. Uh, 
Director Ray, in light of information provided to us about the FBI's investigation of the January 6th pipe bombs, in an interview with Assistant Director Stephen Duantuano, Chairman Jordan and I sent you a letter a month ago. Some of the information that we found in that interview was that phone data that could have helped to identify the pipe bomber was corrupted, was unusable. Uh, he also wasn't sure who found or how the second bomb was found at the DNC. Do you know how the second bomb was found at the DNC? And, and when do you plan on answering our letter? Well, as to the letter, I, I will uh, work with the department to make sure we can figure out what information we can provide. As you know, this is a very active, ongoing investigation, and there are some restrictions on that. But we yes, we can handle classified on. information, it's, and we fund your department, and so you need to provide that. It's not, respectfully, it's not an issue of classification. It's an issue of commenting on ongoing criminal investigations, which is something that by longstanding department policy we are restricted in doing. And in fact, the last administration actually strengthened those policies partly That's because... That's not our policy, though, and we fund you, so let's move on. I could do you know how the second pipe bomb... Do you, can you tell us how the second pipe bomb was found at the DNC? I, again, I'm not going to get into that here. 900 days ago is when this happened. And you said you had total confidence we'd apprehend the subject. We've found video that looks like somebody, a passerby, miraculously found this pipe bomb at the DNC and then notified the police. Miraculously, I say, because it was specifically the same, the precise time to cause the maximum distraction from the events going on at the Capitol. Can you show this video that we have, please? I'd like to know if the director has seen this. This is somebody with a, with a mask on, wearing a hat. They're walking in front of the DNC, which is out of the view on the right-hand side. You'll see him come into view. He goes to one police car. He goes to another police car. He's holding a backpack. He's got a mask on. He's talking to the police. And within a minute, they start scrambling. You'll see the camera turn to the pipe bomb, the location of the pipe bomb. By the way, that's the, I believe the Metro police are now getting out of their car, and that's... Uh, Vice President-elect detail in the black SUV, I believe, parked about 30 feet from the pipe bomb, eating lunch. Okay, now we go over to the location of the pipe bomb. The cameras are scrambling. It, it appears to me that that's not a coincidence, that the person with the backpack who walked by that bench and then went up to the police uh, and the detail didn't... It, didn't do that accidentally. They had a purpose in mind, and that what transpired after that was the result of information that person gave to them. If that person found the pipe bomb, would they be a suspect? Well, again, I don't want to speculate about specific individuals. I will tell you that we have done thousands of interviews, uh, reviewed something like 40,000 video files, of which this is uh, one, assessed uh, 500-something tips, have you interviewed that the person? Devices. We we have conducted all logical investigative steps and interviewed all logical individuals at this then point. Then you need it's nine hundred days. You need to tell us what you found because we're finding stuff you haven't released into the public. And well, in my remaining minute, I, w I want to turn to another issue. Uh, George Hill, former FBI supervisory intelligence analyst in the Boston field office, told us that the Bank of America. Uh, with no legal process, was uh, gave to the FBI gun purchase records uh, 
with, with no geographical boundaries for anybody that was a Bank of America customer. Is that true? Well, what I do know is that the, uh, a number of business community partners all the time, uh, including financial institutions, share information with us about possible criminal activity. And my understanding is that that's fully lawful. In the did specific, you, did you in ask the specific for that information? Instance, in the specific instance that you're asking about, my understanding is that that information was shared with field offices for information only, but then recalled to avoid even the appearance uh, of any kind of overreach. But my understanding is that that's a fully lawful process. We, was there a warrant involved? Again, my understanding is that the institution in question shared information with us, as happens all the time. Did you request the information? I can't speak to the specifics. Okay, well, we've got an email where it says the FBI did give the search queries to Bank of America, and Bank of America responded to the FBI and gave over this information without a search warrant. Do you believe there's any limitation on your ability to obtain gun purchase data or purchase information for people that for people who aren't suspects from banks without a warrant? Well, now you're now you're asking a legal question, which I would prefer to defer to the lawyers, uh, since I'm not practicing as one right now, including the department. But what I will tell you is that my understanding is that the process by which we receive information from business community partners across a wide variety of industries, including financial institutions, sharing information with us about possible criminal activity is something that is fully lawful uh, under current uh, federal law. Maybe lawful, but it's not constitutional. I yield back. The gentleman yields uh, back. The gentlelady from California is recognized for five minutes. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, uh, Director Ray, for being here. I, you know, I think it's it's actually sad that the majority is uh, engaging in conspiracy theories and efforts to try and discredit one of the premier law enforcement agencies in the United States in the effort to try and, uh, without really any evidence, um, make the case that the FBI is somehow opposed to conservative views. In my view, actually, I'm concerned that the FBI has been reluctant to do its job when it comes to the former president. Um, I'd like to ask unanimous consent to put in the record a, an article from the Washington Post, FBI resisted opening probe into Trump's role in January 6th for more than a year. Without objection. Director Ray, would you uh, disagree with the premise of this article that the FBI um, delayed in looking at Mr. Trump himself? The January 6th committee, and I was a member uh, did find that the ex-president was the center of a wide-ranging conspiracy to overturn the election. Uh, did the FBI start looking right after January 6th at the ex-president? I'm sorry, I just lost the last part of your question there. Did the FBI start looking at the ex-president's role in January 6th starting January 7th or closely to that time? Well, let me start with, uh, I'm not in the business of, of kind of commenting or engaging on the, the truth or, or falsity of newspaper articles. Uh, and in this particular instance, as I'm sure you can appreciate, there is an ongoing, very important ongoing special okay. counsel investigation that's now in court. And so 
Not only do I not want to talk about respect, the ongoing investigation, I respect, the internal deliberations related to it are even more sensitive. I, I respect that you cannot discuss ongoing um, investigations. Let me turn to another item. I mean, there's been criticism, and the ranking member went through the scenario leading up to uh, the warrant uh, for the documents at um, Mar-a-Lago. But I'd like to ask unanimous consent to put an article from the Washington Post, showdown before the raid, FBI agents and prosecutors argued over Trump. Objection. It's pretty clear from this article um, that there was a resistance on the part of the FBI to actually um, look at the president or pursue that case vigorously, and although you can't comment on it, the article does suggest that FBI agents want to just close the case uh, because the ex-president made an assertion that uh, a search had been made. Now, we had um, Mr. D'Antuano uh, in as a witness, and he testified four times that the Mar-a-Lago uh, search had adequate probable cause do you agree with that statement? That the, the search had probable cause? Correct. Yes. Thank you. Um, and so you don't have any dispute that there was probable cause for this warrant. I, you know, I just want to say before going to my next question that over and over again the FBI delayed and showed unprecedented uh, caution before investigating the ex-president, even when there was a potential threat uh, to national security. That is, that's my view. That's very far, uh, from the assertion that there was unfair targeting. Can Let I me just, ask can I, on that point, if I just, if I may, uh, while I can't discuss any specific investigation, my expectation for all of our investigations repeatedly communicated to all of our people, and this is especially important in sensitive investigations, is that our folks take great pains to be rigorous, professional, objective, following all our policies and procedures and do the work in the right way. And okay. sometimes that's frustrating to others. My time is almost up. I, I, I want to ask you another question. In the Senate hearing, in response to Senate, uh, Senator Wyden's question of whether the FBI is currently purchasing Americans' location uh, data, you indicated that it was limited to data derived from Internet advertising. Uh, it's since been um, reported that the FBI has admitted it bought uh, U.S. location data. Is the FBI purchasing location data from commercial sor sources without a warrant? Uh, this is an area that requires a little more precision and context for me to be able to answer that fully. So let me have my staff follow back up with you so that I make sure that I don't leave something important out. I, I'll just close with uh, the FBI had 3.4 million backdoor searches of the FISA uh, database without a warrant in 2021. Can you say whether the FBI is continuing to search the FISA database without a warrant for American uh, Americans? Well, if you're asking about our use of 702 queries, um, those are uh, there is no warrant requirement under the Fourth Amendment for those queries. Uh, it's fairly well settled. The 3.4 uh, million figure that you're talking about, I guess I would say a couple things. One, that's not 3.4 million people. That's 3.4 million search terms or query My terms. Second, second, that's not a, those are not uh, 
queries in violation of rules. Those are just queries my, under my the My time has expired, but the committee will look into the warrant requirement later. You sure will. You sure will. The gentleman from Florida is recognized. The American people need to understand what just happened. My, col my Democrat colleague just asked the director of the FBI whether or not they are buying information about our fellow Americans. And the answer is, well, we'll just have to get back to you on that. It sounds really complicated. But I have other questions. I'm sitting here with my father. I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge, that you will regret not following my direction. I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father. Sounds like a shakedown, doesn't it, Director? Uh, I'm not going to get into commenting on that. Well, you, you, you seem deeply uncurious about it, don't you? Almost suspiciously uncurious. Are you protecting the Bidens? Absolutely not. The FBI well, does not the has no oh, interest in You won't answer the question about whether or not that's a shakedown, and everybody knows why you won't answer it. Because to, ev to the millions of people who will see this, they know it is. And your inability to acknowledge that is deeply revealing about you. But let's go from the uncurious to the downright nosy. How many illegal FISA queries have occurred under your leadership of the FBI? Well, there are reports that have come out with different numbers about uh, compliance incidents. More than a million illegal ones? Because that's what the Inspector General said. The Inspector General said that in the 3.4 million of these queries, more than a million were in error. Do you have any basis to disagree with that, that assessment by the Inspector General? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure, actually, that's a, a correct characterization of the Inspector General's uh, oh, well, findings on well, that. The Internet will remind you of I, that in moments. But, but let, let's now go to uh, what the, the court said. The court said it was over 200,000 that have occurred on your watch. Would, would, do you have any basis to disagree with that assessment? Again, I don't have the numbers I sit here right now. What I can't Seems like a number you should know. How many times the FBI is breaking the law under your watch? Especially if it's like over a million to not know that number. And I'm worried about your veracity on the subject as well. Play, this, play the video. Letters for investigation I don't believe FISA is remotely implicated in our investigation. Were you, you so, so there, Senator Lee's asking you whether or not FISA was in any way involved in your January 6th investigation, and you say no. It, was that truthful? I said that I did not believe it was. Okay, so now let's pull up what the court said, which was something a little different than what you said. So, so here, nope, that's not the right one. Yeah, here we go. Right there, it says, the government has reported additional significant violations of the querying standard, including several relating to the January 6, 2021 breach of the Capitol. So I guess the question, Director Ray, is did, did you not know when you were answering these questions that the FBI was engaging in these illegal searches, or did you perjure yourself to Senator Lee? I certainly didn't perjure myself. At the time that I testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, I didn't have that piece of information. I will well, add... Well, that was a court order. You didn't have that piece of information because the court hadn't yet rendered a judgment. Did you not know when you gave the untruthful answer before Senator Lee that this was going on? It was a, it was a truthful answer. I did not believe FISA had been involved in the January But it was. So you didn't... The answer is the FBI has broken so bad 
that people can go and engage in queries that when you come before the Congress to answer questions, you're like blissfully ignorant. You're blissfully ignorant as to the unlawful queries. You're blissfully ignorant as to the Biden shakedown regime. And it just seems like it gets into a kind of a creepy place as well. Go to our, our next image on what the court said. Like, just so the American people realize, the, the court has smacked you down, alleging or ruling FBI personnel apparently conducted queries for improper personal reasons. People were looking themselves up. They were looking their ex-lovers up. Who has been held accountable or fired as a consequence of the FBI using the FISA process as their, like, creepy personal snoop machine? There have been instances in which individuals uh, have had disciplinary action uh, and they're no longer with it. I, I can't get into it here, but we can follow back up. But with don't you see? Don't you see that that's kind of the thing, Director Ray? That you preside over the FBI that has the lowest level of trust in the FBI's history. People trusted the FBI more when J. Edgar Hoover was running the place than when you are. And the reason is because you don't give straight answers. You give answers that, that later a court deems aren't true. And then at the end of the day, you won't criticize an obvious shakedown when it's directly in front of us. And it appears as though you're whitewashing the conduct of corrupt people. Respectfully, Congressman, in your home state of Florida, the number of people applying to come work for us and devote their lives working for us is over up over 100%. We're deeply proud of them, and they deserve better than you. Time of the gentleman has expired. The, the gentleman from Tennessee is recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chair and Director Ray. I thank you for continuing to serve with all of these uh, attempts to sully your name, suggest you've committed crimes, when you've done an excellent job as FBI director. I don't agree with everything you've done, but mostly I do, and I think the FBI is our premier law enforcement agency, and I support law enforcement. To attack the FBI is to attack law enforcement in general. A few days after Mar-a-Lago, there was some individual went after the Cincinnati headquarters of the FBI. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you think that came about? Uh, so the incident that you're asking about uh, was obviously deeply disturbing. We had an individual uh, wearing a tactical vest armed with an AR-style rifle and a nail gun who attempted to forcibly enter and attack uh, our Cincinnati field office. Um, a subsequent review of the subject's devices and online postings uh, identified a, a pretty striking anti-FBI, anti-federal law enforcement hostility. Uh, he was calling on others to kill federal law enforcement, claiming that he felt he was fighting a, uh, in his words, a civil war. And it's unfortunately part of a broader phenomenon uh, that we have seen, not just against the FBI, and this is important to add, but against law enforcement uh, all across the country. Uh, not just against law enforcement professionals themselves, which is uh, appalling enough, but calling for attacks against their families, which is uh, truly despicable. And, and that man eventually was, was captured and, and eliminated, was he not? Yes. A few days later, was the Arizona FBI Department the subject of armed uh, in violence, or not violence, but armed uh, protesters? Well, I know that our uh, Phoenix um, field office has had a number of, of very concerning security incidents where people 
attempted to attack or, or breach the, the facility. I can't remember the dates of when that happened. but All of this has happened kind of in the same sphere. It's been information has been put out on social media and in general and by members of the Congress uh, questioning the FBI, questioning law enforcement in general, and this has had a deleterious effect on safety of FBI officials and you said others like justice. There was a story the other day, I believe, about uh, people involved in the prosecution of, of the former president and threats to them, uh, the DOJ personnel as well as FBI. Is that something that's going on presently? Is there efforts to have a unit at the FBI maybe look into how to protect and defend law enforcement personnel who are threatened with violence? We did uh, stand up a whole dedicated unit to focus uh, on threats to FBI uh, uh, individuals, FBI employees, and FBI facilities because of the uptick that we saw uh, over that time period. The uh, January 6th I mean, was a beyond a weaponization of government. It was a nuclearization of government against the government. Uh, and if I believe I, I heard that you said that you didn't have any prior notice or reason to believe that there would be such an event on January 6th. Is that correct? Uh, we did not, to my knowledge at least, uh, have prior knowledge of, a, of an attempt a violent overthrow of, and breach of the Capitol building itself. Certainly we were concerned about and, and put out a number of uh, products, intelligence products, to partners and others warning of the potential for violence more generally uh, on that date. So there have been, I think Tucker Carlson and some of the members, colleagues on the other side of the aisle have said that Ray Epps was a secret government agent in helping uh, encourage uh, this, this crime so as to make the president look bad. Uh, do you have any knowledge of Ray Epps being a secret government agent? Uh, no. Uh, I will say this notion that somehow the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was part of some operation orchestrated by FBI sources and agents uh, is ludicrous and is a disservice to our brave, hardworking, dedicated men and women. Director, I agree with you. I think the FBI has some of the most talented law enforcement people in our nation and in the world. And they are concerned about safety. They tend to, as I understand it, lean Republican, but they do their job down the line, and that's what they're supposed to do. I'm happy we have the FBI operating in Memphis and other places to work with our police departments and joint units to protect our citizens, and I thank you for your service to the United States. And I yield back my time. Gentleman yields back. Gentleman from California is recognized. Thank you. Director, I'm going to follow up on my colleague from uh, Memphis. Uh, how many individuals were either FBI uh, employees or people that the FBI had made contact with were in the January 6th uh, entry of the Capitol and surrounding area. So I, I really need to be careful here talking about uh, where we have or have not used confidential human sources. Was there one January or more? 6th, was there right? one or more individuals that would fit that description on January 6th that were in or around the Capitol? I, I believe there is a uh, a filing in one of the January 6th cases that can provide a little more information about this, and I'm happy to see if we can follow back up with you. I, I just want that. an yeah. answer. Was there one or more? I mean, you would know if there was at least one individual who worked for the FBI. Who, who entered the Capitol on that day? Uh, I can't, again, I just can't speak to that here, but I'm happy to get the court filing well, that... It's been that two years, and you're now, you're now come before us. The gentleman asks these questions, makes all kinds of insinuations, 
And you, you nod your head yes, and then I ask you simply, was there one or more? And you won't answer that. So I'm going to make the assumption that there was more than one, more than five, more than ten, and that you're ducking uh, the, the question because you don't want to answer for the fact that you had at least one and somehow missed understanding that some of the individuals were very dangerous and that there were others inciting individuals to enter the Capitol after others broke windows. So I'm just going to move on because I think it is time to move on past January 6th. I just, uh, seems that the other side won't. Um, you're a, a near cabinet, cabinet level individual. You enjoy a term in Senate confirmation. Do you feel comfortable speaking to other members, uh, either cabinet level or sub-cabinet level, when appropriate uh, to resolve problems be within the government? Absolutely. Okay. And so uh, when the FBI uh, censored the United States government, you, would, uh, you, you wouldn't have to just take it down by uh, calling Meta or Google, would you? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not sure I'm following the question. Are you familiar with the official verified Russian language account of the United States uh, uh, Department of State that was taken down at your agency's request? That, that doesn't ring a bell as I sit here right now, no. Okay, well, now you have something to take back and, and look at. Okay. Because, in fact, in this bundle uh, that SBU uh, constantly was submitting to uh, various... Uh, agencies was in fact a Russian language, uh, you know, statement of of the government. Literally, you took down the free speech of the Department of State. So, yes, go ahead. I mentioned SBU. I'm not sure we're talking about the same thing, but I, I will endeavor to to provide a little more context, at least as to SBU. Yes. Um, so, uh, I believe what you may be referring to, but I'm not sure we're talking about the same thing, is that when Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, the Security Service of Ukraine, the SBU, which is a long-standing good partner of the FBI, uh, asked us for help on a whole range of things. Uh, and one of those things was to contact U.S. companies on their behalf because the Russians, the invasion, had cut off the Ukrainians' communications. And so we did pass through information from uh, the SBU to social media. Are you also familiar with the fact that President Zelensky has had to clean house at the SBU? I know there have been a number of personnel changes. Okay. Well, we'll follow up in, in, uh, with this in more detail. The, uh, the, the question I have for you is, uh, you're the premier law enforcement operation, and you're a former Department of Justice high-ranking executive at all levels. So... Would you agree that the job of the FBI is criminal investigation? Is criminal investigation uh, and to protect the country from national security threats, those two okay. things. So the, the idea that you take information and you have it taken down, use your authority and the, the leverage you have to have Meta, Google, uh, Facebook, or Facebook being Meta, or uh, Twitter, take down people's information uh, on things like where where COVID came from, where do you find the national security interest in that? Where, where do you find the interest in free speech of American citizens being taken down? And I repeat, free speech of American citizens. Where, where do you have that authority? So we don't uh, ask 
social media companies uh, to censor information or suppress information uh, when it comes to national security threats, certainly. Uh, so what we do do is alert them when some other intelligence agency gives us information about a foreign intelligence service being behind some account, we will call social media companies' attention to that. But at the end of the day, we're very clear that it's up to the social media companies to decide whether to do something about it. The suggestion it or not, of the most powerful law enforcement operation is not a suggestion. It is, in fact, effectively an order. Mr. Chairman, I yield back. Gentleman yields back. Gentleman from Georgia is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. We are here today because MAGA Republicans will do anything to protect Donald Trump, their savior no matter how unfounded or dangerous it may be to do so. Welcome to the legislative arm of the Trump re-election campaign. A grand jury found probable cause that, among other crimes, Trump illegally kept highly sensitive national security documents, which could put our country and, others and our sources in danger if they got out, and which photographs show Trump kept those records in bathrooms, showers, closets, and in the Mar-a-Lago ballroom. MAGA Republicans are afraid that the justice system might hold Trump accountable for his actions. So to protect him, Republicans are trying to intimidate FBI officials. And in case that does not work, Republicans are trying their hardest to discredit the FBI in the eyes of the American public. When Trump lost in 2020, they tried to make Americans distrust their election systems. And now that the FBI and the Justice Department have sought to hold Trump to the same standard any other American citizen would be held to, MAGA Republicans are telling Americans not to trust the FBI. To protect Trump, Republicans are trying to distract us from the real work that the FBI does every day which is fighting violent criminals, child predators, and fighting domestic terrorists and extremists so as to protect our democracy and our national security. And even worse, MAGA Republicans are stirring up threats that pose a danger to the safety of FBI employees. It's past time that Republicans realize the consequences of their words and put the good of this country over politics. Now, uh, Director Ray, I want to thank you for your service uh, during a time of unprecedented um, travail. Um, uh, Director Ray, um, you were a partner at an international law firm before you took a, a drastic pay cut to accept the job of FBI director. Isn't that correct? Uh, yes, that's something my wife reminds me of from time to time. <laughs> and... Uh, but let me ask you this, sir, uh, and you took this office after uh, Trump fired the former FBI director, Jim Comey, correct? Yes, sir. And um, did you uh, contact the Trump administration to offer yourself uh, for this job, or did the administration recruit you for the job? Uh, they contacted me and asked me if I would be willing to consider taking on the role. So Trump handpicked you to be the FBI director. Yes. And he expected you to do what he wanted you to do, correct? 
Well, that I can't speak to. I, I can tell you the same well, thing I told I'll him, which like is this. that I'm going to do this job by the book. He's unhappy with you now, isn't he? Um, I'll, I'll let him speak for himself. Well, I think a lot of uh, his uh, acolytes uh, here reflect his, um, his intent at this particular time. Director Ray, are you aware that MAGA Republicans have repeatedly called for the FBI to be uh, defunded? I have heard some of that language. In fact, Republicans on this very committee have said that your institution should be dismantled. Isn't that correct? Uh, well, I think certain members have. And one member even tweeted, quote, Dis defund and dismantle the FBI, end quote. Another told Fox News that, quote, Republicans should defund the bureaucracy, end quote. And a third told the press that he thinks the FBI, quote, needs to be split up and moved out into pieces, end quote. Those are direct quotes and only a small sample of what's out there. Can you briefly describe for us what the effect would be on our national security and on our domestic tranquility if the FBI were to be defunded or dismantled? Well, certainly it would be disastrous for 38,000 hardworking career law enforcement professionals and their families, but more importantly, in many ways, uh, it would hurt our great state and local law enforcement partners who depend on us every day to work with them on a whole slew of challenging threats. It would hurt the American people, neighborhoods and communities all across this country, uh, the people we're protecting from cartels, violent criminals, gang members, predators, uh, foreign domestic terrorists, cyber attacks, I could go on and on. The people it would help would be those same violent gangs and cartels, uh, foreign terrorists, Chinese spies, hackers, and so forth. A member time, of the, time of the gentleman has expired. Uh, chair now recognizes the gentleman from Colorado for five minutes. I thank the chairman. Director Ray, thank you. Thank you for your work uh, with the FBI, and, and uh, thank you for your uh, history uh, of work in, in law enforcement. Uh, you started out as a, an AUSA, and I'm getting this information from Wikipedia, the great font of knowledge in the digital age, so I'm assuming that it's true, but you started out as an AUSA. You uh, were nominated by Republican President Bush for the position of Assistant Attorney General in the Criminal Division at the Department of Justice, and you were confirmed by a Republican Senate, if I uh, am, am correct in that. Uh, yes, by uh, unanimous voice vote. And, and you were then nominated by Republican President Donald Trump uh, to be the FBI director, and again confirmed by Republican Senate uh, uh, for that position. Uh, yes, I think there were only five votes against me, and they were all uh, from Democrats. Um, according to Wikipedia, uh, you're still a registered Republican, and I hope you don't change your party affiliation after this hearing is over. Um, but I want to thank you. Um, I want to thank you for leading an agency, as you mentioned in your opening statement, that protects Americans from foreign terrorists, that uh, an agency that protects Americans from fries from China uh, and Russia uh, and cybercrime and public corruption and organized crime and drug cartels and human traffickers and white-collar criminals. And I want to thank you and the FBI for protecting law-abiding Americans from the evil that exists all around us. Director Ray, you know this, but it's worth mentioning again anyway. The FBI doesn't protect America because this is a beautiful uh, country. It doesn't protect America just because of the citizens who live in this country. You and the FBI protect America 
because of the values that we hold, because of our constitutional republic, because this is a special place. And the rest of the world knows just how special this place is. Director Ray, I'm concerned about FISA. I'm not concerned about FISA in a partisan way. And frankly, I am not in favor of defunding the FBI, nor am I in favor of splitting up the FBI, nor am I in favor of using the home and rule for the FBI director. Um, I'm concerned about FISA because I'm concerned about what makes this place special and the threats to us. And I would, I would love to work with the FBI on how we can protect Americans at the same time protecting the civil liberties of Americans. And that area of FISA is what really concerns me. And I know you have gone to great lengths to try to um, work with FBI agents on how they access uh, information under 702. And I know that at times it has been successful and at times it has not been successful. But the, the spirit of FISA in the spirit of our constitutional republic, really demands that the FBI culture shift. And it shifts to a place where FBI agents understand that protecting American civil liberties, that protecting the, the privacy that we all enjoy in this country, even though we screw up, we still in, enjoy this, this privacy. And in court, we have the highest burden of proof the world has ever known to prove a case beyond a reasonable doubt. And that has to be, uh, that information has to be gathered by the government in a legal, uh, in a legal way. And so I fear that we are going to overcorrect on FISA in Congress, that we are going to take away some tools that are necessary because there is a trust factor here that's missing. And uh, I'd love to know how we can draw that line in a way that assures the civil liberties. I agree with my colleague from California, and I don't often agree with folks in California, but I agree with my colleague from California that uh, it is essential that we not get geolocation information from the, the what I consider criminals at big tech um, and that we protect that, that uh, information for Americans. Um, you, as a law enforcement official, should not know where I am necessarily unless you have probable cause to, to get that information. Um, I'm also concerned about the ability of law enforcement, and particularly the FBI, to access information. When I go on the Internet and I search for a gun vault or I search for a holster, I don't want the government to know that I own a gun. And I think I have that privacy right to make sure the government doesn't know that I own a gun or any other uh, information that I search for on the Internet, unless you've got probable cause to make that search. And so I want to ask you a, a question in the last few seconds, and that is, how can you work on the culture in the FBI and help us reach that, that sweet spot on FISA? Well, uh, thank you for that. Uh, certainly, we, starting with first principles, try to drive home every day to our entire workforce that our mission is to both protect the American people and uphold the Constitution. Uh, and we have, on the issue of FISA, clearly had failures in the past. I've been very plain about that. And we've implemented a whole series of reforms. And if you look, if you look at the reports that have started to come out now from the FISA court, from ODNI, from the Justice Department, from others who have looked at the effect of our reforms over and over again, they are showing significant improvement in compliance. We're talking about the most recent FISC, uh, FISA court opinion finding 98% compliance 
and commending us for moving in the right direction. Uh, DOJ report found 99% compliance. Uh, our internal audit found a 14% jump up to 96%. These are all separate reports looking at the impact of our reforms. A lot of the uh, public commentary about our failures, and let's be clear, we have had problems, and those problems are unacceptable, and I'm determined with my leadership team to fix them. But those problems almost entirely predate those reforms, even though some of them have just come out recently. And so we're going to keep working at this. That is not a one and done from my perspective. I recognize that we need to work with the Congress on this issue, uh, but this is an incredibly important tool. As you know from your own public service uh, as a prosecutor as well, this is an incredibly important tool to protect the American people from very serious foreign threats. I'm the gentleman's expired. The gentleman from California is recognized. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Director. Um, I want to pick up where Mr. Buck began as well by thanking you for your service. And I'm glad that we have an opportunity for one Democrat, what and Republican in close succession to thank you for your service to the country. Um, you are being attacked and vilified by some of the members of this committee and others outside this committee because the Justice Department and the FBI has had the audacity to investigate serious allegations of criminal conduct by a former president. Uh, and I just want a chance to recap uh, how we got to where we are. Uh, during the last administration, and for four years, the Justice Department took the position, uh, not unprecedented for the department, uh, that a former president could not be, a current president could not be indicted. Now, I think that's a flawed matter as a constitutional principle, but nonetheless, that was the view of the Office of Legal Counsel and the Justice Department during the Trump years, that the President of the United States could not be indicted. My Republican colleagues seem to believe that a former president similarly cannot be indicted. Uh, that would effectively make a president above the law, beyond the reach of the law. Uh, and in my view, there would probably be only one thing the founders would find more politically uh, precarious and dangerous to our Constitution than the indictment of a president or former president, and that is the failure to indict a president or former president when they have engaged in criminal conduct. Um, the Justice Department, uh, I believe, as uh, Representative Lofgren, uh, my fellow member of the January 6th Committee, asserted, took a very long time to begin the investigation of Donald Trump and his involvement in January 6th. I believe it began with urgency when it came to the foot soldiers who broke into the Capitol and assaulted police officers that day. But at least what I can tell from the public record, the activities of the president himself, some of which were a matter of very much a public record, uh, such as his tape-recorded conversation with the Secretary of State in Georgia, in which he badgered the secretary to, quote, find 11,780 votes that don't exist. Uh, while that was the subject of investigation by the local district attorney in Fulton County, did not appear to be the subject of investigation for more than a year by the Justice Department. Uh, to me, that is inexplicable. Uh, this was never a kind, the kind of case in which you could roll up the foot soldiers on the higher-ups because there were multiple lines of effort in this plot to overturn the election. Uh, I do think that the appointment of the special counsel has accelerated the investigation of the former president's misconduct, and I think that is a positive step for the department and for the country so we can get resolution to this. But likewise, with Mar-a-Lago, notwithstanding the protests of my colleagues, there were repeated, repeated requests by the archives to get those documents back uh, from the former president. 
And then when those were unsuccessful, there was a grand jury subpoena that was administered. And when that was unsuccessful, and only when that was unsuccessful, and there was evidence that the foreign president was still withholding highly classified materials, did the FBI go to the step of a search warrant? That was more than a year and a half after those initial requests. This was anything but a rush to judgment in the Mar-a-Lago case. Uh, so I believe the Department of Anything has has uh, exercised enormous caution, I would say too much caution, in the January 6th commission, uh, committee's work and oversight uh, to proceed uh, against a former president when there are serious and credible allegations of criminal conduct. Um, but I want to thank you for your stewardship during this incredibly difficult time. I don't think there's been a more difficult time for an FBI director. Uh, and notwithstanding concerns I have expressed, none of them go to your integrity uh, or your commitment to the country, and I want to thank you for that. Let me ask you about a different topic, um, although related to January 6th as well. Let me talk, ask you broadly about domestic violent extremism. Uh, I offered an amendment in this committee voted down by the Republicans that we should oversee the increasingly dire threat of domestic violent extremism. Um, one of your recent reports underscored the, the rise of this prevalent threat, and I'd ask you if you would address it today. So the rise of domestic violent extremism uh, is something that uh, I and we have been uh, identifying for. Millions of people every day are reaping the health benefits of using cannabis oil, also known as CBD. This new product derived from hemp has fascinated doctors and scientists around the world for its powerful effects on the human body. If you are in need of alternative methods for health empowerment, please visit www.naturalhempoil.com. That's www.naturalhempoil.com. CBD is now legal in over 40 states, and our products are non-psychoactive and contain less than 0.3% THC levels. We also offer products for household pets. NaturalHempOil.com does not claim to treat cancer, PTSD, epilepsy, anxiety, insomnia, joint pain, eczema, or any chronic condition that you may have been diagnosed with. Please consult with a doctor before you take CBD. Results may vary, so give our natural CBD a try at www.NaturalHempOil.com. That's www.NaturalHempOil.com. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill which may never exist. But believe it or not, I may have found the next best thing. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviewers can't be wrong. Simply place your order now to get 51% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com. www.trimwithus.com. Order now. Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. 
Energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. That's why tens of thousands are using this amazing little device from SavePowerBills.com. It's a small but smart gadget that stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your electronics. Just plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Order now to get 65% off plus many free bonuses before they sell out by going to SavePowerBills.com. That's SavePowerBills.com. Order now. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Between mass shootings, homicides, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjacking, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight includes an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope and wire cutter, siren, high and low LED lighting modes, and much more. Simply place your order now to get 66% off along with many other free bonuses before they sell out by going to www.fighterflare.com. Order now at www.fighterflare.com. For quite some time, it goes back well before January 6th. In fact, a lot of people don't know this, but the Joint Terrorism Task Forces that we hear about so often at the FBI were largely created in response to domestic terrorism, not foreign terrorism. Uh, but in my first few years uh, as director, we were identifying this issue more and more, and that's why we elevated in the summer of 2019 uh, racially motivated violent extremism to a national threat priority level. Uh, and we saw, I think, about a 40% increase uh, in the number of domestic violent extremism investigations uh, all before anything to do with January 6th. Obviously, since then, it is, has continued, but domestic violent extremism uh, cuts across the spectrum from the racially motivated violent extremism, militia violent extremism, anarchist violent extremism, uh, environmental violent extremism, uh, and of course recently uh, we've had a lot of uh, violent extremism uh, attacks against uh, pro-life facilities and we're investigating those. So it, it really covers a wide spectrum and what they all have in common is three things, uh, violence or threats of violence, motivated by some ideology, and it varies, uh, in violation of federal criminal law. And that's the domestic violent extremism, violent extremism that I'm talking about when I've identified this phenomenon. Mr. Chairman, could I request unanimous consent to enter into the record uh, two letters, uh, both from David Weiss, the Trump-appointed U.S. attorney in Delaware, uh, rebutting allegations concerning, impar concerning, partiality, concerning partiality in the investigation of the Hunter Biden case? I would I thank you. Thank you, Director. Without objection. Director, what's the difference between a traditional Catholic and a radical traditional Catholic? Uh, I'm not a, an expert on the, the Catholic uh, orders. Well, your FBI wrote a memo talking about radical traditional Catholics. I'm just wondering if you could define it for us. Well, what I can tell you is you're referring to the Richmond product, which was a single product by a single field office, which as soon as I found out about it, I was aghast and ordered it withdrawn and removed from FBI systems. You were aghast, and why won't you let us talk to the people who put it together? We are working on finishing an internal review into what happened We have there. to wait. The, we, the Congress, and the American people have to wait until you do an internal review. It's not a criminal investigation going on here. An internal review before we can talk to the people who wrote this? We, when we finish our internal review, which will be very soon, we will come, come back idea before how the committee in America? and provide a briefing on what we found. Well, we appreciate and the we briefing. Can, we want to talk to the people who wrote it. Any idea how can, many Catholics are in America, Director? Uh, no, sir. 
There's a lot, over 60 million. What percentage of those are radical, traditional Catholics, according to the Richmond Field Office of the FBI? Again, that product is not something that I will defend or excuse. It's something that I thought was appalling read, and removed it. Let's read from that product, page four of that product. By the way, the copy you gave us, when can we get a copy that didn't have all these redactions on it? So we can actually see what the American taxpayers were paying for to see their rights, their First Amendment religious liberty rights attacked. Let me just read from page four. Provide new opportunities to mitigate extremist threat through outreach to traditional Catholic parishes and the development of sources with the placement and access to report on places of worship. That's pretty fancy language for they're trying to put informants in the parish, in the church. That's what this memorandum said, Director, from one of your field offices. And you won't let us talk to the people who did it. Any response to that? I didn't know. I was waiting for the question. No, priest, do you think priests priest should be informants inside the church, Director? We do not recruit, open, or operate confidential human sources to infiltrate, target, report. But that's not, uh, what, religious this, that's not what this said. It sounds like you were trying to do it in no, Richmond, Virginia. No, no sir. No, you sir. weren't? This, this didn't happen? You can assure us that this didn't happen? That product did not, to as best as we can tell, result in any investigative action as a result of it. None. You know what the motivation for this was? Why, why would they even think about doing this? You know what the motivation was? Well, again, I think that's what our internal review will find, and I'd rather wait until I hear what the results of that internal review Well, I don't need an are. internal review. I can read the document. I assume you can do the same, because it says right there on the same page. Richmond assesses extremist interest in radical traditional Catholics is like to likely to increase over the next 12 to 24 months in the run-up to the next general election. Same paragraph. Events in which extremists and radical traditional Catholics might have common cause include legislation, judicial decisions in such areas as abortion rights, immigration, affirmative action, and LGBTQ protections. It's politics. That's the motivation. In the run-up to the next election, and they talk about the border, affirmative action, and, and, and abortion rights. It's total politics. I mean, I think it's interesting that affirmative, we just got a decision from a bunch of Catholics who sit on the United States Supreme Court relative to affirmative action. Politics was the total motivation here. And that's what's scary. That's what's, I think, so frightening and why we, why we, how this happens, I don't know. And five people signed off on it. Five people, including the chief division counsel at the Richmond Field Office. I'd like to talk to this lawyer in a lot of people in this room went to law school to get a, con a course on the Constitution talks about the First Amendment. I find that really scary. Again, when do you think we're going to have a chance? How soon are you going to complete this internal investigation so we can talk to these folks who put this together? I expect us to be able to brief uh, the committee on our internal review later this summer. Will that briefing include the names of the individuals who put this document together attacking Americans' First Amendment liberty? Uh, I'm not sure yet what it will include because it's not done yet, but when it is, we'll provide you with an appropriate briefing. What are you doing to fix it so this doesn't happen again? Well, we've already started putting in place a number of fixes, and those will be further informed by the results of the what review. What are those fixes? More training, more things, more you know, that same thing you told us on FISA. And while you may have some improvement, you still got 204,000 times the database was illegally searched. So what are the training and procedures you're putting in place? Well, I'll put the FISA stuff to the side. Oh, I'm just using that as an example of where you've told us the same thing and you fixed something yeah. and you haven't. 
I do not believe the number that you just invoked on the FISA side is since the reforms, the fixes, as you called them. Can we get uh, an unredacted? Those uh, post-date the numbers that you're referring to. Director, can we get an unredacted copy while you're still doing this internal best? Can we at least get an unredacted copy of this memorandum? I will find out if there's more of the of the document that can be shared with you. We've tried to be very careful in what we redact, and there's always a, a basis for it. So let me go back and see if there's more that we can provide. But I, I know my instructions are to be as sparing as possible in the redactions that we provide. Gentleman from California is recognized. Director, I think it's quite rich that the guy that has accused you of lawlessness and weaponization is 400 days into violation of his own congressional subpoena over January 6th. Quite rich to me that you're hearing all of these allegations from somebody who won't even respond to a lawful subpoena. But I want to talk more about your workforce because that's where you started. A couple weeks ago at the Bureau, you had Family Day. Can you tell us what Family Day is? Uh, Family Day is an opportunity for employees from really all over the FBI. Um, it tends to be primarily from the nearby geographies because of the trip that they have to make to employees to bring their families into FBI headquarters so that they can see a little bit about the place their loved ones work and why mom or dad is spending so much time away from home. You see any little kids at Family Day? Many, many, many. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to say thank you to the families. We talk a lot uh, in law enforcement about sacrifice, but the reality is that law enforcement officers and professionals are sacrificing to do what they love. Our families are sacrificing because of who they love. And what would you say in your experience is the number one worry of a little kid about a mom or dad who is a special agent out in the field? Obviously, they're worried that their mom or dad won't come home at night because they've been killed. And that, in fact, has happened, unfortunately, all happened too in Fort Lauderdale a couple years ago. Is that right? Uh, Laura Schwarzenberger and Dan Alton, uh, two of our agents killed uh, in a connection with a child exploitation case down there. It was the single uh, darkest day I've had in this job. I want to turn your attention to an organization called Marco Polo. It's run by a former Trump aide named Garrett Ziegler. Over the past couple weeks, he has doxxed the addresses of a former special agent connected to the Hunter Biden case. He has put up the dates of birth and pictures of two current special agents who work for you. He has said the name, which I will not say, of an assistant U.S. attorney who worked in the Hunter Biden case, that she will answer for her crimes. He will focus everything on her. Justice will be done. It's out of my hands, but she will answer. Do, do these types of threats and doxing concern you about threats to your workforce and what it could mean? Well, obviously what we're most concerned about are the actual acts of violence, which themselves have happened, and as we just discussed. But this kind of phenomenon, doxing, um, is itself hugely problematic because the more information, personal information about uh, law enforcement professionals that are out in the internet, the more people who may be unstable or inclined to violence there are out there who can choose to act on it. And we're seeing that all too often. The number of officers across law enforcement uh, killed in the line of duty uh, has been up alarmingly over the last few years. And I know that because one of the things I committed to doing uh, early in my tenure was every time an officer anywhere in the country 
is shot and killed in the line of duty, I was going to personally call that sheriff or that chief and on behalf of the FBI express our support and condolences uh, and relay that to the family. Um, and I have done that now close to 400 times since I've been in this job. Thank you for doing that. And you don't only do that, you, you send your sacks, your, your special agents in charge to their funerals as well, and I've, I've seen that. Chairman, I've counted in this hearing, and we're only about an hour and a half in, the use of the word laptop about 20 times. In fact, in the chairman's opening statement, he said that he's upset that he believes the FBI prevented more Americans from learning about a private citizen's laptop. That is bananas to me. You all are bringing up FISA every single question. You're essentially saying to the American people that you're guardians of personal security and privacy, but the 2020 election was determined because the FBI, no, because the FBI didn't let more Americans see a private citizen's non-consensual nudes? Is that what we're saying here? That you lost the election not because of your ideas, but because a private citizen's laptop Do you want an answer? Will wasn't you yield? out there? Will you that's, yield? That's bananas. Like you, you should be a party of ideas, not a party of non-consensual nudes to help you win an election. Will you yield it for seems an answer? like that is what the objection is here today. Then we should be talking about the mass shootings that occurred over the last 10 uh, days. Time, Instead, time the, this yeah. hearing has turned into absolute chaos. Okay. And I yield back. Time of the gentleman's expired. We bring up FISA because it's up for reauthorization, if the gentleman didn't know, at the end of this year. And it was in, the, it was in our witnesses' opening statement. I didn't bring up the laptop. Whose who's time are you speaking? Whose time are you speaking to, Chairman? The judge last point of order. Week on Whose July time 4th, are you speaking? Chairman, point of order. Whose time are you speaking on? Uh, I'm speaking on. I'm not not a point of order, and I recognize the gentleman from Arizona. Thank, thanks, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Director, thanks for being here. Who is Matthew Graves? Who is Matthew Graves? I, I believe Matthew Graves. At least the, the person I'm thinking of is, I think, the U.S. Attorney in the District of Columbia. That's the person I'm thinking of, too. Are you aware that he has promised more than 1,000 more individuals will be charged or indicted related to January 6th? I had not heard that he had said that. But it seems arbitrary, and there's reports that it's kind of a quasi-quota system that he's put together for January 6th prosecutions. Do you approve of targets, goals, quotas in prosecuting alleged criminal conduct? Uh, well, certainly not quotas. That doesn't make any sense. I mean, goals is a little bit more of an ambiguous term, but... But certainly not quotas. Certainly not quotas. Uh, do you know if any of your personnel at the FBI is involved in the on the investigations promised uh, that will lead to indictments by um, the January 6th quota established by U.S. Attorney Graves? Uh, that doesn't sound familiar to me. Okay. In June 2021, you told this committee that a small group of people at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th had, quote, all sorts of weapons. Do you remember being here for that committee hearing and testifying that way? Uh, in general, yes. It has been reported that more than 40 FBI personnel agents or contractors were in the crowd on January 6th. Is that number accurate? Uh, I don't know if that number is accurate. Former Capitol Police Chief Stevenson reported, uh, reportedly has asserted that the protest crowd was filled with federal agents. Um, are you aware of his assertion? I am not. Um, would you agree with him that it was filled with 
federal agents on January 6th? I, I would really have to see more closely exactly what he said and get the full context to be able to evaluate it. How many agents were actually uh, agents or uh, human resources were present in the Capitol complex and vicinity on January 6th? Well, again, it's going to get confusing because it depends on when we, we deployed and responded to the breach uh, that occurred. How, how, how many, there were, how many there were, were under federal agents? Sure. Uh, go, no, yeah, you're talking, you, you, and you and I both know what we're talking different things here. And and I, please don't don't distract here because we're focusing on the, those who were there in an undercover capacity on January 6th. How many were there? Uh, again, I, I'm not sure that I can give you that number as I sit here. I'm not sure there were undercover agents uh, on scene. You, I find that kind of a remarkable statement, Director. At this point, you don't know whether there were undercover federal agents, FBI agents in the crowd or in the Capitol on January 6th. I say that because I want to be very careful. There have been a number of court filings related to some of these topics, and I want to make sure that I stick within what's in. I, I understand that. But I, I just, I thought I heard you say you didn't know whether there were FBI agents or informants or human sources in the Capitol or in the vicinity on January 6th. Did I misunderstand you? I thought that's what you said. I, well, I referred very specifically to undercover agents. Yeah. And so are you acknowledging then there were undercover agents? I, I, as I sit here right now, I do not believe there were undercover agents uh, on any FBI agents. Did you have any uh, assets present that day uh, in the crowd? When it comes to what you're calling assets or what we would call confidential human sources, sure. uh, that's a place where, again, I want to be careful, much as I said in response to an earlier question, uh, there are court filings that I think speak to this that I'm happy to make sure we get uh, to you, assuming they're not under seal. Um, and that can better answer the question than I can as I sit here right now. In the same January, excuse me, June 2021st committee hearing, you told us that the FISA court, quote, approved FBI procedures, minimization procedures, collection and procedures, querying procedures, did not find misconduct, close quote. That's what you said um, specifically, you said the FISC found no misconduct. Yet three months later, the Inspector General found widespread problems in FBI's FISA applications, raising serious questions about the FBI review process of applications, including hundreds of examples of noncompliance with Woods procedures, for example. And we know that from December 2020 to November 2021, the FBI conducted 3.4 million warrantless searches of U.S. data under FISA. 3.4 million up nearly triple the amount of the previous year, and it got worse as you were telling us there was nothing to worry about. But now your reforms have produced about 100, uh, reduced it down to 119,000, over 200,000 total, but 119,000 discrete Americans. That just doesn't seem like you've accomplished much there if you have 119,000 illegal searches and queries under FISA. I'll yield back. Gentleman yields back. Gentleman from California is recognized. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. The House Judiciary Committee is responsible for helping to ensure the rule of law. Unfortunately, this chairman ignored a bipartisan congressional subpoena served upon him. The actions of this chairman have undermined the credibility of all congressional committees in seeking information from witnesses and have undermined the rule of law. Now, Director Ray, thank you for your public service and for the service of the brave FBI agents. I'm going to ask you a series of 
basic questions to get facts out to American people about our system of justice. Trump advisor Roger Stone was convicted in a federal court, correct? Uh, that's my recollection. Trump donor Elliot Brady was convicted in a federal court, correct? Uh, also my recollection. The attorney general at the time for those two convictions was Bill Barr. Which president nominated Bill Barr for attorney general? Uh, president Trump. Trump's former lawyer, Michael Cohen, was convicted on two separate occasions in a federal court, correct? Uh, I believe that's correct. The attorney general at the time for Cohen's second conviction was Matthew Whitaker. Which president appointed Matthew Whitaker as acting attorney general? Uh, president Trump. Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, was convicted in a federal court, correct? Yes. Trump's former deputy campaign manager, Mr. Gates, was convicted in a federal court, correct? That's my recollection. Trump's campaign foreign policy advisor, George Papadopoulos, was convicted in a federal court, correct? Uh, yes, I think he, yeah, he pled guilty, yes. The attorney general at the time of those three cases was Jeff Sessions. Which president nominated Jeff Sessions for attorney general? President Trump. You were the FBI director for all of those cases at the time. Which president nominated you? President Trump. Okay. What these facts show is we don't have a two-tiered system of justice. We have one Department of Justice that goes after criminals regardless of party ideology. All of these folks were convicted under the administrations of three separate Republican attorneys general. It is not the fault of the FBI that Donald Trump surrounded himself with criminals. Donald Trump brought that upon himself. Thank you to the FBI for exposing the cesspool of corruption of these Trump associates. Now, I'd like to talk about efforts by MAGA Republicans to defund the FBI. I think it would be useful for the FBI to explain to American people what your missions are and how critical they are. So, again, a series of basic questions. The FBI's mission includes counterterrorism, correct? Yes. And that means the FBI works to stop terrorist attacks on American soil, right? Yes. The FBI's mission also includes counterintelligence, correct? Yes. And that means the FBI works to stop espionage of American companies and organizations, is that right? Yes. Okay. The FBI's mission includes stopping cybercrime, right? Correct. The FBI's mission includes stopping public corruption, right? Correct. The FBI's mission includes stopping weapons of mass destruction from being detonated on American soil, right? Oh, yes, we work with others on it, but yes. The FBI, FBI's mission includes going after organized crime, right? Yes. You go after violent crime, correct? Yes. You also go after white-collar crime, right? Yes. The FBI's mission also includes going after child sex trafficking, correct? Yes. Okay. Republican members of their caucus, including members on this committee, have asked to defund the FBI. One member of this committee from Arizona wrote that the FBI, quote, should be defunded and dismantled. What would happen if the FBI was defunded and dismantled? We would have hundreds more violent criminals out on the street, dozens more violent gangs terrorizing communities, uh, hundreds more child predators on the loose, uh, hundreds more kids left at those predators' mercy instead of being rescued. Uh, scores of threats from the Chinese Communist Party being left unaddressed. Uh, hundreds of ransomware attacks uh, left unmitigated. Uh, 
terrorist attacks, both jihadist-inspired and domestic violent extremists, um, not prevented that would succeed against Americans. Uh, single seizures of fentanyl, it is not uncommon right now for a single FBI office in a single operation to seize enough fentanyl to wipe out an entire state. So many, 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 many more of those lethal doses would be sweeping the country. Uh, we have close to 400, I think it is somewhere between 300 and 400 investigations into the leadership of the cartels trafficking that fentanyl. So you would have a significantly greater threat from the southwest border from the cartels. So those are just a few things that would happen. Ultimately, the people most hurt by some um, ill-conceived effort to defund our agency, the people most hurt are the American people uh, that live in every district represented on this committee. Thank you, Director Ray. Gentlemen from... Um, California, Mr. Kiley is recognized. Good morning, Director Ray. I'd like to take you back to 2021. Uh, in many parts of the country, schools remained closed month after month for no good reason. Uh, once schools did nominally open, many instituted draconian testing and quarantine regimes, uh, such as one student is possibly exposed to COVID, everyone goes home for the week. Children as young as toddlers were subjected to harmful mask mandates that defied international norms. The way some students were treated truly shocks the conscience. Just consider a few examples from my own state of California. A school district in Davis sent an email to parents announcing that their children will be required to eat outside in the rain to reduce exposure to COVID. A school in Sonoma County made young children chew with their masks on, explaining this was to minimize the time spent unmasked. Some schools in Los Angeles limited students to one bathroom break per day and barred them from drinking water outside of the lunch period. A school in the San Ramon Valley made students eat lunch on the ground. In October of that year, the American Academy of Pediatrics would declare a national state of emergency in children's mental health, citing dramatic increases in emergency department visits for all mental health emergencies, included, including suspected suicide attempts. In the face of this, Director, the Biden administration decided to take action. It mobilized the sweeping powers of federal law enforcement. But it wasn't to spare kids from such cruelty, rather it was to target the parents who were speaking out against it. The administration coordinated with the National School Board Association on a letter that began with the alarming claim, America's public schools and its education leaders are under an immediate threat. The letter cited a handful of news stories, almost all of which involved purely expressive activity by parents at school board meetings and called such activity a form of domestic terrorism. The letter called for the full counterterrorism and law enforcement powers of the federal government, including authority granted under the Patriot Act, to be mobilized to investigate, intercept, and prevent such activity. The Biden administration was ready to take this letter and run with it the moment it was received. After all, administration officials had participated in its drafting. Within five days of receiving it, Attorney General Merrick Garland fired off his infamous memo directing federal action in response to a, quote, disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff. In response, the FBI opened 25 assessments against parents and even created a new threat tag. Director Ray, did uh, Attorney General Garland consult with you or the FBI before issuing that memorandum? Uh, I, I can't get into discussions that did or maybe more importantly did not happen between the FBI and the department in advance of the... Why do you say more importantly did not? 
Well, because I will say to you the same thing that I said to all 56 of our field offices as soon as I read the memo, which is that the FBI is not in the business of investigating or policing speech at school board meetings or anywhere else for that matter, and we're not going to start now. Uh, now, violence, threats of violence, that's a different matter. We're going to work with our Correct. So that's what the memo was predicated on. And what I'm asking you, was there any evidence that you provided to Attorney General Garland that supported that predicate, that premise that there was an increase in harassment and threats of violence? I, I'm not aware of any such evidence, but I know that we've had a number of, uh, of our folks who have been up here for transcribed interviews. Mm -hmm. um, so unless some of them shared it, I'm not aware of any of that. Well, actually, what they've shared with us points to just the, the opposite. Uh, you had, uh, for example, uh, a letter from uh, Christopher uh, Dunham, acting assistant director in March of this year, where the FBI acknowledged that it has not observed an uptick of threats directed at school officials since it began tracking, tracking the data. Does that sound accurate to you? Yes, sir. And is it also true that according to the FBI itself, none of the school board-related investigations have resulted in federal arrests or charges? I think that's correct. I think uh, of the 25, uh, and for context, you know, that's 25 um, I'm sorry, I've limited time, so yeah. that's correct. I'd like to move on. This committee's investigation concluded that the Justice Department's own documents demonstrate that there was no compelling nationwide law enforcement justification for the Attorney General's directive. Do you have any reason to dispute that conclusion? Uh, no. So we had an investigation of parents. We had a sweeping mobilization of federal powers against the most protected core First Amendment activity the right of citizens to speak and petition their government on the most important of issues, the education of their children. And you are telling me that the entire basis for that, there was no evidence to support it. Well, I, I want to be clear. We, the FBI, as I said, were not and did not investigate people for exercise. Should Attorney General Garland rights. rescind the memo? I'm sorry? Should Attorney General Garland rescind that memo? Oh, that's a question for the Attorney General. Do you believe he should? Again, I'm, that's a question for the Attorney General. Do you, would you, do you believe that the Attorney General should apologize to parents who are the subject of that memo? I'm not going to speak to that. Will you apologize for the FBI's own role? I, I think the FBI conducted itself uh, the way it should here, which is that we've considered to continue to follow our longstanding rules and have not changed anything in response to that memo. Time of the gentleman has expired. The chair recognizes the gentlelady from Washington. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Director Ray, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for your service to the country. Um, I do want to focus on some areas of concern around American civil liberties that I have, lo have had long-standing concerns about. In testimony to Senate Intelligence in March, you stated that the FBI had previously purchased commercial database information that includes location data derived from Internet advertising, but that to your knowledge, the FBI does not currently purchase data. But just last month, the ODNI declassified a report revealing that the FBI and other agencies do purchase significant amounts of commercially available information about Americans from data brokers. And the report notes that commercially available information, quote, has increasingly important risks and implications for U.S. persons' privacy and civil liberties as commercially available information can reveal sensitive and intimate information about individuals. It is public information that the FBI uses Babel Street and Vent, uh, Ventel and has a Lexus account. All of these companies provide data for purchase. Can you tell me how the FBI uses that data? 
respectfully, this is a topic that gets very involved to explain. Uh, and so I, what I would prefer to do is have our subject matter experts come back up and brief you, and they can answer your questions in detail about it, because there's a lot of confusion uh, that can be unintentionally caused about this topic. Um, but, but does the my, my testimony, data? My testimony that you referred to before remains the same, and the uh, the story about the ODNI report doesn't change that. But again, there's there's a lot of precision and technical dimensions to this. Well, I, I do um, appreciate that, but I, I'm looking at a report that is from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence saying that. that the FBI purchases data. Mr. Chairman, I ask unanimous consent no, no to enter this into the record. No objection. Um, do you know if the contracts with data brokers like the ones I described uh, provide location data? My testimony about purchasing commercial database information that includes location data derived from Internet advertising remains the same, which is that we currently do not do that. But the, but the information that you have that has already been purchased, does it contain location Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be obtuse or difficult here. I just know from experience that the more you drill into this whole issue of commercial data, geolocation data, et cetera, that it, it gets very involved. In some I, cases, it involves uh, pilot projects that are in the past. In some cases, it involves... Uh, National Director Ray, I, I, I do so understand I just want that, to make that sure that we get you the information okay, you need. Okay, that's great. I, I will take that, but I do life. want to say that this is just an extremely important issue for the American people to understand how their data is being used. That is location data. That is uh, biometric information. It's medical and mental health information. It's information related to individuals' communications. It's information about people's Internet activity. And while I understand that that's complicated, that is the reason that you come before us, so that the American people can hear this. Let me ask you this. Does the FBI have a written policy outlining how it can purchase and use commercially available information? Uh, there are a number of policies that bear on this topic. Again, that could be part of the same briefing that we're happy to provide. I don't dispute at all that this is an important topic. I'm simply saying that precisely because it's such an important topic that... Uh, a minute and 12 seconds counting down is not the no, best way. No, I, I understand that, but, but I'm asking whether there is a policy. It sounds like there is a policy. When was that policy last updated? Uh, that I can't. As I sit here right now, I don't have the answer for you on that. But, again, there are a number of policies that are relevant to this, and so that may affect the... And you'll commit to providing those to us so that we can we can explore them, too. I, I would commit to providing you a briefing that will provide, uh, hopefully, very helpful information to help you understand better this whole topic. What about a written policy governing how commercially available information can be used in criminal investigations? I think it's all wrapped up in the same answer I just gave. I mean, the reason that this is so important is because... Uh, the question is whether the FBI uses that data to generate leads for investigations only or further along in the investigative process. There's public reporting on DHS contracts with the same data brokers that I mentioned earlier, totaling, totaling millions of taxpayer dollars. And as you know, in the 2018 Supreme Court decision in Carpenter versus the United States, the court held that it is a violation of the Fourth Amendment for the government to access historical location data without a warrant. Does the FBI have a written policy interpreting the Supreme Court's decision in Carpenter? Uh, I, if I recall correctly, there was guidance. I can't remember if it's a policy or, or what that came out after the Carpenter decision. 
but again, I think that'll be encompassed in the briefing that we're talking well, about. Well, I'm going to follow up with you. I want to thank you again for your service. This is a critically important issue for the American people to understand. We have bipartisan support uh, around FISA reauthorization and the concerns we have around FISA reauthorization. And unless we really understand what measures the FBI is taking to ensure that people's privacy is protected, uh, I think it's going to be a very difficult uh, reauthorization process. I'm sure you know that. Thank you, Director Ray. I yield back. Senator Lady yields back, and uh, I would just say well said. Uh, appreciate your work with colleagues, bipartisan area and in, 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 uh, bipartisan approach in this area, and you have friends over here who want to help you on that. We now go to the gentleman from uh, – I know, Director Ray, if we can go just a couple more, then we'll take a little break, if that works for the Director. Couple more on each side, then we can take a break. Okay, I think. Okay, all right, we'll go. I think it's Mr. Morris is up. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, Director Ray. Thank you for being here today. In 2022, you testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee and stated, "Quote: I condemn in the strongest possible terms any prospect of retaliation against whistleblowers." End quote. Do you still agree with that statement? Yes. Do you feel that your actions as the FBI leadership during your tenure live up to that sentiment? Yes. Director Ray, a few months ago, we heard from, uh, are, you, are you familiar with a special agent, uh, Garrett O'Boyle? Uh, I'm familiar with the name. After Mr. O'Boyle came to Congress and, and blew the whistle on the misconduct at the Bureau, his clearance was unsurprisingly suspended. Does, did that surprise you? Do you find that suspicious? Uh, I, I can't discuss a specific security clearance matter, uh, partly because the uh, the security clearance determinations uh, are made by, by ODNI directed by the security clearance manager, which is not the FBI director, um, and I don't want to insert myself into the process while appeals are pending, for example. Well, as a leader, I think it's important. You, you, we need to have the opportunity, and you know by law that they have the opportunity to be whistleblowers and talk to Congress and inform us on issues. And I think to restore trust in the FBI, it's imperative on you to allow whistleblowers to come forward. And for us to have the oversight we need to have to make sure I mean, we're seeing the polling numbers. The FBI is tanking, and it's it's under your watch, sir. And, and and it concerns me for the American people. When I'm in the district, the number one concern, and I come from a fairly rural district, is weaponization of the FBI and the DOJ coming after conservative American citizens who just simply want to have a voice in the process. And so I would encourage you, uh, Mr. O'Boyle, I understand he has been suspended since September of 23, almost 10 months now, 2022. He was suspended in 2022. So almost a year now, the man's trying to go without a paycheck. I don't know. Could you make it 10 months without a paycheck, Mr. Ray? <laughs> uh, I prefer not According to. to, what, to. Yeah, well, you, you're talking about your wife not being real happy, but yeah, taking a pay cut. Well, can you imagine 10 months later, and, and you're still going through a process for just a whistleblower coming to, the, coming to the Congress and trying to inform us on issues he sees within the FBI? I think we could help you in the process if you would allow us. But in some ways, we have to look at this whistleblower and other whistleblowers and encourage them to come forward and be truthful with the American people. Two real quick questions. Why would the FBI offer Christopher Steele a million dollars to verify a dossier about Trump-Russian collusion and then the same FBI offer $3 million to Twitter to squash a story on the Hunter Biden laptop? Do you have any idea why a law enforcement agency would be planning to elections? Well, I, you raised a number of different issues there. So first, uh, as to the Steele dossier, that, of course, is a subject treated at great length uh, in the Durham report. 
which we, and again, predates my time as director. I understand that, but it was the same agency paying a million dollars to push one story out or try to collaborate one story and three million dollars to quiet another story for political opponents. I don't understand. And then I would, as to the second part related to Twitter, I would, I would disagree with your characterization respectfully. When there are payments to social media companies, that is by longstanding federal law going back, I think, about four decades where we have to pay companies for uh, their costs in responding to legal process. And it's not just social media companies, it's other kinds of businesses as well. Well, when those stories get out, and you understand, and certainly the dossier story, and I know that wasn't under your watch, but also the, the, the Hunter Biden laptop story, that, to me, looks political. To the American people, it looks political. And I'm just an everyday guy. I'm not an attorney, Mr. Ray. Just an everyday guy. But to me, it looks extremely political. And that is why you're having trouble keeping the FBI's reputation afloat. And so with that, Mr. Chairman, I'm going to yield the balance of my time. But I do want, I want to enter one thing to the record, Mr. Well, Chairman. Can you do that after we just yield, then we'll enter in the record after. Sure, sure. Uh, Director Ray, did the FBI ask financial institutions to turn over their customers? Yield the time to me. Did the FBI ask financial institutions to turn over their customers' debit and credit card purchase history in the Washington, D.C. area for January 5th and 6th, 2021? Uh, I don't know the answer to that as I sit here right now. Well, we do. Because Bank of America gave it this email from the FBI to Bank of America. Well, I am aware that Bank of America provided information to the FBI, but what communications occurred between the FBI and Bank of America about it? Let's read it. To recap our morning call, Are you? we are prepared to action the following threshold. Customers transacting debit card, credit card, Washington, D.C. purchases between 1521-1621. That's scary enough. But then the next bullet point's even more scary. Any any historical, capital letters, all capitals, any historical purchase of a firearm. You guys asked financial, it's at least Bank of America, we think more. Did you guys ask him? Again, I don't have the full sequence of the back and forth. You've got one, looks like you've got one email that I haven't seen before here. Um, so I don't know that I have the full exchange. That this well, does this email trouble of... you as much as it does members of the Judiciary Committee? That the FBI is asking for every single... I mean, we had members of Congress here that week. First time they're getting sworn in as a new member of Congress, their family in town, and you're sweeping... And they may happen to be a customer of Bank of America, and you're sweeping up every debit and credit card purchase of their family who are in town that week because their, their husband or their dad or their mom is getting sworn in as a new member of Congress. And then you're also saying, overlaying that information with, did, you, did this person buy a firearm? And the question is, I'm just nervous about that. Are you nervous about that? As as I think I've testified before, my understanding is that our engagement with Bank of America uh, was fully lawful, but that we recalled the leads that were cut to field. Well, if it's up. lawful, that's that was my next point. If it's yes. lawful, why did you say we're not going to use these leads? That's what Mr. Jensen testified to when we deposed him. The director of the terrorism unit at, at, at the FBI. That's what he testified to. Why did you Why did you not use the leads if it was lawful to get the information? Well, there are. Chairman, it's one minute and eighteen seconds over time. There, there are, sir. There are plenty of times where there are things that we lawfully can do, but that we decide is better that we not do. And yeah. I think that's what the happened. The idea that Mr. Massey said earlier that this is lawful that you can ask this is scary. This is something else we're going to have to change. Uh, with that, I would yield to the gentle lady from recognize the gentle lady from. Excuse me for. Uh, well, we got a unanimous consent request from Mr. Moore. Mr. Chairman, yes, the Wall Street Journal article I'd like to enter into the record says, Republicans eye sweet home for new FBI headquarters in Alabama. 
All right. Uh, without objection, uh, the chair now recognizes the gentlelady for Texas for five minutes, and then we'll take a break. Uh, break uh, direct. <laughs> uh, good afternoon. Thank you very much, Director Ray, for your presence here. Thank you to the men and women of the FBI in particular for the work that you've done on gun violence uh, and as well uh, the work that you've done in keeping Americans safe. Let me very quickly uh, move on some issues that have been made a chief part of the work of our friends on the other side of the aisle, Republican members of this committee have spent much time uh, of this Congress claiming that various aspects of the U.S. government have been weaponized against the American people. Director Ray, are you or your staff or auxiliaries weaponizing the FBI against the American people? Absolutely not. Thank you very much. Uh, let me uh, thank you as well for your civil rights work and uh, emphasize that in addition there have been representations that the FBI exaggerates domestic terrorism reports or data. Uh, certainly, uh, January 6th had its many different storytellers, but that was an act of domestic terrorism. I don't know how you could have exaggerated that as evidenced by the special congressional committee we had. But let's just think of domestic terrorism as it relates to the good men and women of our law enforcement. Take an example in February 2020 in Texas, uh, where a uh, white supremacist uh, was uh, engaged in conspiracy involving swatting, a harassment tactic, and all of the emergency services showed up over and over again. Does domestic terrorism impact negatively and dangerously on America's law enforcement and first responders? Uh, absolutely. And sometimes law enforcement are themselves the uh, intended victims uh, or targets of domestic violent extremism. Though you have uh, good, uh, committed individuals, does the uh, critique is legitimate. That's our job. But does the constant condemnation uh, impact on morale of FBI personnel or those trying to um, join the FBI? Well, look, our people are human beings, and nobody likes to see the organization they've dedicated their careers, really their lives to, unfairly criticized. But I will tell you, as I said in my opening statement, that the good news is our people are also tough and resilient. Uh, our attrition is in the low single digits and would be the envy of almost any employer, and our recruiting, unlike what's happening in law enforcement more generally, is actually up very significantly. Thank you. And I look forward to it being diverse. Let me start with our whistleblower uh, journey here. Are you familiar with FBI Special Agents Kyle um, Serpent? Uh, I'm familiar with the name. Is that yes? I'm familiar with the name. Yeah. The committee heard testimony that Mr. Serpent was suspended after he mishandled his service weapon and then said he wanted to use two female XBI executives as shooting targets. Uh, that was testimony of Jennifer Moore, HR, uh, under human resources, under oath from the FBI. Mr. Serpent describes himself as a congressional whistleblower, but committee Republicans will not tell us whether he has been in contact with them. Are you familiar with former FBI agents uh, Garrett O'Boyle and Marcus Allen? Again, I'm familiar with the names. Thank you. A boy was suspended for assessing information about an ongoing case and then leaking to the press, and Allen was suspended for interfering in the investigation of a January 6th suspect. Both Allen and O'Boyle testified before the Weaponization Committee in May. Were you aware of that? Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, I think uh, they are clearly there for all friends and family to see. I assume they wanted to be seen. Um, do you know who Cash Patel is, if you know? 
yes, I know who he is. He's an aide to President Trump, isn't he? Or was an aide? Or is an aide to President Trump? Ooh, well, uh, he, he was uh, an individual who served in a number of different roles, both up here on Thank the Hill you. and in the executive branch. Thank you. Here's another picture. It's the checks that Serapin sent to both O'Boyle and Allen. Each check was for $255,194. Let me say that again. These men were paid $255,194 after they testified as so-called whistleblowers. And it should be noted uh, that it says here, as it says, for holding the line. Director, at the time that Serapin and Patel gave Garrett O'Boyle and Marcus Allen these checks, do you happen to know if they were still employees of the FBI? Uh, I can't speak to that. I don't know the answer. If they were, 5 CFR 22635, and I'd appreciate if we could get an answer in writing after you go back, whether they were or not, prohibits FBI employees from accepting cash gifts, doesn't it? Uh, well, there are a whole number of rules that would apply to this. Uh, again, I don't want to weigh in on a specific person. But if they were, uh, that rule applies about cash gifts. I'm not aware of a situation in which they could no, appropriately just, accept just cash generally, gifts. Just generally, if, oh. if that applies to FBI agents about not taking cash gifts, is that correct? There are, there are definitely rules that apply to thank, special agents thank accepting you, Mr. cash gifts. Let me just finish this. Can you explain why an FBI agent should not receive cash? But let me uh, move to uh, one that I think is ex extremely important. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, Mr. Chairman, just a moment. And here is what I think is most interesting piece of this whole puzzle. O'Boyle and Allen are represented by an outfit called Empower Oversight. Times Empower expired. Oversight is run by former Republican staffers. Do you know who else Empower Oversight might represent I in any not. way? Mr. Chairman, I have a unanimous consent request. Uh, let me just... Uh, time expired. Uh, thank you so very much. Fine. Thank you. Um, the so-called IRS uh, whistleblower who Jim Jordan had uh, relied upon. But does anyone need any further proof that these allegations are ginned up, corrupt political stunts advanced by those who don't want to see us follow the law? Finally, Mr. Chairman, here's another person who wants to join you on the 702, but the FBI has begun major reforms, and I think we should recognize that. You've been very kind. I yield back my time. Gentlelady yields back. Uh, I would just point out my guess is they... they they got the money because they wanted the money because they had to try to they're trying to feed their family. They actually uh, haven't received the money. I have unanimous consent request, Mr. Chairman, of a tweet Matthew Foldy uh, put out here during this hearing. Right off the bat, Jerry Nadler lies about whistleblower getting two hundred fifty thousand. He says here Marcus Allen has not received two hundred fifty thousand dollars. He has not received or cashed the check that Kyle Serafin posted online. Enter that in the record. Into the record, we, the committee will take a five minute recess. Five minutes. Five minutes. Then we'll come back. Holy smokes, we got 1,200 people watching. I went and did a little workout in the garage. Come back to a massive audience. That's awesome. So... Those of you guys that are new to this channel, please be sure to subscribe and smash that rumble button. I guess it's because there wasn't a lot of people streaming this. Um, so, that was pretty interesting. Uh, a little bit more eventful than I expected. You know, going into this, I said, this is going to be six hours of Christopher Ray deflecting and uh, 
you know, citing the, the old line that we're so tired of, that's part of an ongoing investigation, and, oh, I'm sorry, I don't recall. In fact, I set up a little drinking game for those of you guys out there that uh, partake, and I said, take a shot of tequila every time he says that. And if you did that, you would be completely wasted by now, because that is what happened. But there was uh, some pretty key issues that were brought up. Uh, particularly, I like that Jim Jordan came out strong right in the beginning and brought up the recent Missouri versus Biden decision. I mean, Christopher Ray testifying today could not have come at a more uh, crucial and perfect time because it was just declared by a federal judge in this Missouri versus Biden decision. And for those of you guys that are not tracking that court case, that is that is the court case of the century. Um, Tracy Beans has done incredible work keeping everybody up to date on every single uh, filing. And uh, the, the recent injunction, it was just granted by a federal judge that the FBI is completely barred and prohibited from communicating through uh, to, to social media companies, Meta, uh, Twitter, completely barred from communicating with them in an effort to uh, coerce, pressure, or, you know, or it, it, basically in any capacity. I don't think they can have any private communications whatsoever with these social media platforms based on the fact that it has been virtually proven that the FBI went to very great lengths extensively to reach through Twitter and silence Americans and their lawful speech around, uh, you know, COVID, the vaccine effective effectiveness, the lab leak theory, elections, uh, people perpetuating election fraud, and much, much more. And the judge said that the plaintiffs in this case, the attorney general for uh, Missouri, and I believe Louisiana, that have teamed up to bring this case against the Biden administration, the judge has already kind of given a, uh, a preliminary judgment and said that they are likely to win on the merits on the basis that they've already proven. They've, they've shown extensive examples of the fact that the FBI has been violating the First Amendment right of Americans. Okay, and then you have Christopher Wray coming to testify before the House Judiciary Committee just days later. So that's that was Jim Jordan's opener. And I'm glad he brought that up. Because just on that basis alone, when you put that at the forefront, right in the beginning... Uh, uh, let's talk about what we're censoring here. We're censoring vaccine effectiveness. Okay, we're censoring the lab leak theory. We're censoring claims of election fraud, right? Uh, we're not censoring the Democrats' talking points that men can become women. Um, we're, we're not censoring people... I, I, you know, all the insanity that the Democrats say we are we are censoring exclusively the talking points of conservatives, the lawful speech of Americans, exclusively conservative Americans. OK, so you 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 you, you completely lose the argument that the DOJ has not been weaponized and politicized against one political party. Just on that basis alone. And, uh, you know, if, if you really listen if you listen to the Democrats like Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell and uh, Alan Nadlis, I say Nadlis because he's got no balls, Alan Nadler, you know, all these people, the only thing that they can cite 
as evidence that the DOJ has not been weaponized is that, well, uh, Donald Trump is the one who appointed Christopher Wray, as if that proves anything. Okay, Donald Trump, his, uh, his picker ain't the best, <laughs> let's put it that way. And just because, you know, Donald Trump uh, lacked a little discernment in the area of who he appointed to these positions, that, does, that doesn't negate the evidence right before your very eyes that the DOJ has been weaponized against one political side of the aisle. Okay, and uh, so, so Christopher Wray, in the beginning, and I've been following this the whole way through, even though I was out working out in the garage, I still had headphones in, I was listening to him uh, try to state his case as to why the DOJ, the FBI particularly, has not been uh, politicized. And, he, you know, he said that, you know, uh, we, we've been taking out criminals in record numbers. We, we've taken kilos of fentanyl off the street. We've arrested 20,000 bad guys just in the last year, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, let's 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 look at your definition of what you consider bad guys, because I would I'd be willing to bet half of those so-called bad guys were the probably the parents opposing the school board school boards uh, trying to indoctrinate your kids with Marxist ideology and telling them to chop off their balls. Those are the people that you probably arrested because we know that you delegated resources to your counterterrorism unit to target these people. You know, Ray wants to talk about numbers and statistics as in an effort to say that, uh, you know, we don't have a political bias. <laughs> it's totally ridiculous. And by the way, if Ray wants to talk about numbers, you know, and if he wants to tout around the successes of the FBI in, in tracking down and targeting criminals, let's talk about some numbers. OK, let's talk about how many of the missing children that have been trafficked through the border and then subjugated to sex trafficking and slave labor, how many of those kids has the FBI investigated and found uh, since since Biden took office? How many? And and, and completely, uh, you know, op open the border. You know, it's been open season at the border. And what we learned from a whistleblower within the DHS recently is that there have been... I don't know the numbers, but let's say a, a million of these uh, unaccompanied minors coming through the border, then being placed with so-called sponsors here in America. And then when they go to follow up with these kids, a third of them are completely missing, completely missing, disappeared. They, they no longer exist. They have no idea where these people are. And we know where they are. They're being sex trafficked. And they're being subjected to slave labor to pay off the, the, the mules that traffic them through the border. And the FBI, we know, we know the FBI has done absolutely nothing. Nothing. Why? Well, because in order, I mean, to investigate and traffic these people, uh, uh, investigate and find these kids and rescue these kids out of uh, slave labor and sex trafficking, well, that would reflect poorly on the Biden administration, not just for enabling this activity to occur at the border, but, you know, for his uh, failed border policy. There's there's so many instances that we can cite. Oh, Bones Mama 1 wants me to make her a moderator. Is there a troll in the chat? I'm not sure how to do that from from this page here. 
Peach Tree Battle Realty in the chat says maybe Trump picked him to expose him. I don't I don't go for that argument. I, re- I really don't see the utility of appointing an FBI director that allows egregious crimes against humanity to occur, allows criminals to walk free, prosecutes, and, I mean, look what happened to the Jan 6 prisoners. Rotting away in D.C. gulags. Look what's happened to so many innocent Americans at the hands of, of, of Christopher Ray and, and uh, Merrick Garland. Like, well, he didn't appoint Merrick Garland, but you know what I mean. I, I just can't justify this with, well, he, he, he did this to bring him into the light to expose him. Come on. Come on. That's not an argument. That's not an argument. What I hope, and I've heard, I've heard, and I'm very concerned about this. I've heard people uh, recently bring up the fact that Donald Trump is still undecided as to whether or not to shit can Christopher Ray if he takes back the White House in 2024. I mean, what, what's left to uh, be revealed here? For Donald Trump to make a declarative decision, and you may be thinking, okay, I, I can hear the justification now. People are going to say, well, you know, he doesn't want to he doesn't want to come out there and say that because then the, the FBI is just going to become more uh, vicious against him and accelerate these witch hunts if if he if he makes an enemy of the of the FBI and Christopher Wray. So it would be more strategically sound for him to. Uh, you know, quietly wait for his opportunity and keep silent on the matter until the time is right. I can hear people saying that now, but uh, that logic falls apart <laughs> when you go check Trump's Truth Social, where he says that Jack Smith looks like a crackhead. <laughs> Clearly, Donald Trump doesn't give a damn about <laughs> whether or not whether or not they're they accelerate the witch hunts against him you know or whether about making enemies with the people that are uh in a position to prosecute him i i don't think that's i don't think that's a good explanation so it looks like we're back from break be sure to smash that like button again subscribe please subscribe we got a lot of people here and also follow us on twitter we are back on twitter at the nicky mo T-H-E-N-I-C-K-Y-M-O. Your support would be greatly appreciated. We started posting our short videos over there, trying to get some engagement on a mainstream platform and wake up some normies. So if you could subscribe over there too, that would be great. And uh, all the social media links are in the, the, the description to Telegram, Truth Social, everything. And check out MyPillow.com, enter promo code Nick and save a ton of money on the best sleep products on the market. All right, I'm just filling airtime trying to pull this back up. Okay, here we go. I'm going to step out. FBI failed to examine all available exculpatory evidence. Uh, I think, well, you say to examine it? Um, Certainly, I think there were failures, significant failures, with respect to exculpatory information. Did the FBI interview all key witnesses? in Crossfire Hurricane? Uh, uh, I think Mr. Durham, I think, found uh, that they did not. Did the FBI abuse its authority under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act? Well, certainly there were violations that were totally unacceptable, uh, and in my view, uh, cannot be allowed to happen again. 
As noted in the report, Crossfire Hurricane investigators had hoped the returns on the Carter Page FISA application would, quote, self-corroborate. Do FBI or DOJ guidelines permit investigators to submit uncorroborated allegations in a FISA application in the hopes that the returns will self-corroborate? I've never heard of that concept. Okay. Is Crossfire Hurricane the only time the FBI has violated the procedures for the FISA process? Uh, well, there are a lot of different procedures, but, but certainly not the only compliance incidents that we've had with respect to FISA. Director, as, as I expressed to you upstairs, the American people are outraged. And just this week I had at a town hall uh, constituents expressing outrage uh, about the actions of those within your agency uh, who have damaged the FBI's reputation and uh, undermined the work, the good work, of uh, the vast majority of hardworking men and women within your agency. But going down the list, uh, you have the Biden family investigations, you have the anti-Catholic memo. By the way, you mentioned five individuals who contributed to the anti-Catholic memo in the Richmond field office. Are they still employed by the FBI? I don't think I mentioned any specific individuals. I did say that this was a product by a single field office um, mm -hmm. that we took action on immediately. We have an inspection uh, that's underway right now that's looking at how this happened and how we make sure it doesn't happen again. So it's still possible that uh, individuals will uh, be fired as a result of your review? Well, I don't want to pre predetermine or forecast where the review will go. We're going to look at everything from exactly how it happened and what went wrong, and then but if there are appropriate steps to be taken, we will take whatever the appropriate steps are. Okay. You have the violence against pro-life clinics. You have the investigation of parents speaking at school board meetings. You have the collusion with big tech. The FISA abuses of Section 702 is where I want to focus right now. Uh, as you know, Section 702 authorizes warrantless surveillance. It's supposed to be targeted toward foreigners abroad, but the surveillance sweeps in a large amount of Americans' communications, and the FBI routinely runs searches of Section 702 data looking for phone calls, emails, text messages of Americans, so-called backdoor searches. Uh, depending on the year, FBI has conducted anywhere from 3.4 million in 2021 to 200,000 in 2022. Uh, given this fact, do you honestly think it's fair to continue describing Section 702 as an authority targeted only at foreigners abroad? I do. It looks like a framework that enables the FBI to spy on countless Americans. Would you agree with that assessment? Well, I, I can't speak to what it looks like to certain people. I can tell you that it is an authority focused on foreigners overseas in the context of national security investigations. I would add to that that the FBI's piece of that, the FBI only accesses. So everything we're talking about FBI-related only goes to about 3% of the entire 702 collection. And then within that 3%, this is important. Okay, I have it's important that people so. understand this. The FBI ends up only accessing content in like one and a half percent of that. So I a little context is appropriate. Well, if you're conducting hundreds of thousands or even just hundreds of warrantless searches of Section 702 data for Americans' communications, it's clearly a domestic surveillance <laughs> tool. And I would argue that uh, I believe it, it, it does uh, pose a real problem within the FBI's conduct toward Americans and, and I speak for many when I say I think it poses a real problem for the reauthorization of FISA authority for your organization. So with that, I yield back. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, uh, Director Ray, for being here. Uh, I am troubled by many of the statements and questions we've heard today that embrace conspiracy theories and disinformation. And with these comments, 
it appears that some of my colleagues are trying to sow division and score political points rather than conduct legitimate oversight of the actual actions and policies of the FBI. I, like many Americans, would rather Congress focus on doing the people's business and ensuring that the FBI is able to do its job and do it well within the bounds of our Constitution and laws. Now, one of the most serious issues facing American communities now is drug abuse, particularly opioids and fentanyl. And in your opening remarks, you mentioned the arrest of 31 U.S. citizens in Northeast Ohio just a couple weeks ago, most hailing from Marion, for drug trafficking. Um, can you just take a minute, because I have some other questions, to describe what the FBI is doing to end the scourge of fentanyl and what additional tools you might need from Congress? So the FBI is attacking the scourge uh, of fentanyl coming from the southwest border uh, in particular uh, in a variety of ways. Uh, one, we are uh, using our organized crime task forces to target the supply, the cartels in particular. Uh, two, we're using our Safe Streets task forces to go after the gangs uh, that are principally responsible, violent gangs, for distributing a lot of this all over our streets. Uh, third, we're targeting... Uh, provider abuse, prescription, uh, you know, pill mills and things like that through our healthcare fraud authorities. Uh, fourth, uh, we have something called J-Code, which focuses on the trafficking of fentanyl on the dark web, which is a real problem. And we've had a number of very significant takedowns there. Uh, we're also doing things like engaging in outreach, raising awareness. Uh, we put out a video called Chasing the Dragon with DEA that uh, has been shown at a lot of schools around the country. Uh, we're trying to work with uh, the, the uh, health community. So there's a lot of things that we're doing, but this is a, you know, it's an epidemic. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's an overstatement, and it's something that requires all hands on deck. Okay. And if there are things you think Congress can help you with, please submit that to us afterwards. Um, another major threat to our nation is domestic terrorism, and that's something you've spoken about repeatedly. Um, like many Americans, I find it unpatriotic and dangerous when members of Congress embrace dangerous conspiracy theories that undermine our federal law enforcement and ultimately our democracy. And I find it disingenuous for members of Congress to harangue the head of the FBI about people losing faith in the FBI when those same members have been trumpeting lies and conspiracy theories about the agency for months. Words matter. They have consequences. And when leaders lie or embrace disinformation, that's dangerous. In recent years, we've seen increasing threats and violence levied against public servants at all levels, including journalists, elected officials, election workers, doctors, nurses, school officials, teachers, librarians, and more. And what these public servants have in common is they became targets for threats and violence when they had the guts to stand up to lies and conspiracy theories promulgated by the former president. and his allies. We've seen MAGA extremists, Fox News pundits, Russian internet trolls, and elected officials parrot conspiracy theories and use heated language to convince the American public without facts that dedicated public servants are dangerous enemies who should be feared. Most Americans understand that this is not legitimate political discourse and that this kind of overheated and fact-free rhetoric can in fact encourage political violence. It's not normal and it should not be part of American public life. 
So, Director Ray, you've repeatedly testified about the serious threat that domestic violence extremists present to Americans. And these are people who commit violent and criminal acts in furtherance of social or political goals, whether racial and ethnic motivation or anti-government motivation. Um, can you talk about the role that mistrust in government and disinformation and conspiracy theories play in the radicalization and recruitment of extremists? Well, uh, certainly there's a whole host uh, of um, misconceptions that are out there about any number of institutions, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's the Supreme Court, or whether it's any number of other institutions, uh, that uh, in the environment that we're in where there are people who increasingly uh, channel their rage into violence, uh, that causes a problem. You know, the, there is a right way under the First Amendment to express what you're angry about and who you're angry with, and we take that very seriously uh, and view as part of our mission not just to protect the American people but to uphold the Constitution. But when those uh, views are then turned into violence and threats of violence, then we got a problem, and then I think the FBI has to act. Thank you. I see my time has expired, but I would seek unanimous consent to introduce into the record a press release from the U.S. Attorney's Office of the Northern District of Ohio entitled 31 Individuals Involved in a Drug Trafficking Organization in Marion County and Lorain County Indicted. Without objection. Chair Thank recognizes you. the gentleman from California. Uh, th thank you. Mr. Director, when we uh, abandoned um, uh, Afghanistan, uh, uh, we released about 5,000 uh, terrorists from the Parwan detention facility. Uh, one of those terrorists showed up at Abbey Gate 10 days later and killed 13 U.S. Marines. Where are the other 5,000? Uh, I don't know that I can tell you where all 5,000 are. Well, let me are. put it more simply. Have you encountered any here in the United States? Uh, we have a quite a few ongoing investigations uh, into um, uh, foreign terrorist-related subjects, um, whether they're al-Qaeda-related or ISIS-related, uh, that we're conducting as, as you and I are having this conversation. And certainly... So have you encountered any from Parowan here in the United States? Specifically, I'm not sure I can say that. Let me let me follow up and make sure if there's anything more I can provide you on that. Well, meanwhile, we've had about one and a half million known Godaways cross the border as this crisis has unfolded. Uh, uh, any estimate of how many among uh, of those 5,000 among the one and a half million known Godaways uh, may be uh, terrorists? I know that we have seen an uptick, uh, which is obviously concerning to me, and I can tell from your question, concerning to you, uh, in uh, KSTs, as we call them, known or suspected terrorists uh, coming across uh, the southwest border. Um, and our folks are working very hard uh, to try to do our part, to try to, to keep tabs on those individuals. Speaking of upticks, have we seen an uptick in criminal cartel or cartel-related gang activity in the United States over the last several years? Uh, yes, the the uh, the cartels working uh, in kind of an unholy alliance with dangerous, violent gangs here in the U.S. are responsible not just for the uh, abominable distribution of fentanyl all over the country, but um, but also an awful lot of the violence that comes. And that's along coming with it. principally across our southern border. Uh, that's a huge driver of it, certainly. 
huge driver. Um, it's reported we've lost contact with the Guardians of more than 85,000 unaccompanied minors who've been brought here by the cartels through the southern border. How many of these children are still unaccounted for? Uh, that I'm not sure we have the answer to that. That may be a question for uh, DHS. Um, what's the Woods procedure? The Woods procedure uh, is a procedure for, has nothing to do with 702. It has to do with traditional FISA, um, uh, Title I FISA as we call it, uh, and involves having uh, files that have all the underlying documents to support each of the factual assertions. Is, is in that important uh, to the integrity of FISA applications? Yes, sir. In February 2020, you assured the committee that uh, you took these FISA abuses seriously, that you were working to address them. A year and a half later, the Office of the Inspector General reported that you weren't. Um, they reported systemic noncompliance and essentially that some FBI field personnel took the Woods procedure as a joke. If we can't trust your past reforms, how seriously should we take your promises of future reform? I appreciate the opportunity to address this one. So that... OIG finding actually applies to, number one, that applies to compliance problems that occurred before all the fixes that I was testifying to you all about. Uh, even though the report came out later, it was covering a time period that predated all of the fixes and reforms. Well, your your general place. counsel assured Mr. Durham that the abuses would not have happened because of the new procedures for supervisorial review, yet some of the worst abuses in Crossfire Hurricane were committed by supervisory agents. So, so why should we have any great confidence that's not going to happen again? I, I, there's a couple different sets of reforms here. So the first is on the reforms that we put in place uh, in response to the Inspector General's Crossfire Hurricane report. But we can't trust your supervisors is the problem. The, 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 the problem seems to be that this power exists at all and human beings, uh, being what they are, will tend to abuse them. Could you describe the term parallel construction as it relates to evidence produced in FISA searches? Parallel construction? I'm not sure I've used that. Doesn't term. that refer to the FBI using forbidden information from a 702 search to, to alert local law enforcement to search for and then produce the same material without revealing that it came from an improper search? I'm just not sure about the use of the term. Well, has the FBI ever employed that particular tactic in prosecuting American citizens? Uh, I, not to my knowledge, but again, I can look into that and get back to you. What percentage of FISA warrant applications are rejected by the FISA court? I don't know that we have that number. Uh, there's, a, there's usually a back and forth with the court. Uh, it's not unusual for the court to... Uh, it's a fraction of percentage, isn't it? A fraction of a percentage? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's right, but it's definitely a small number. Uh, and I think that's which, partly because makes, we, which, our folks learn over time what the court expects. makes that an awful lot like a rubber stamp. I see my time's expired. I yield back. Uh, uh, the gentleman yields back. Gentleman from Georgia is recognized. Thank you, Chairman. Good afternoon, Director Ray. Um, thank you for coming before the Judiciary Committee this afternoon. And I have read your testimony. I want to redirect this questioning for a moment, and I want to focus on the important work that the FBI uh, is tasked with when it continues to do its work with gun violence prevention and keeping our community safe. As of today, there have been over 300 mass shootings. That's more than the number of days that we have in this year. And statistics will continue to show us over and over again that during the summer, these numbers continue to rise. Extremist protection orders play an important role in law enforcement's response to preventing mass shootings from happening. And what are also known as red flag laws or orders, uh, they empower law enforcement 
uh, along with family members and household members, to petition a court to actually have an individual that appears to be in crisis have those firearms just temporarily taken away or removed from them with a court order uh, to be um, returned during expiration of that order. Um, I have a few questions for you, so if you can answer as directly as you can, I appreciate it. Family members and members of law enforcement can often identify individuals who would pose a risk to themselves or to others within the community um, when they actually possess a gun. As the head of the United States Federal Law Enforcement Agency, do you believe that these red flag laws uh, and these programs enhance public safety? I don't want to uh, speak on behalf of any specific legislative proposal, but I, I will say that I know um, from experience that a number of states have had a good experiences with those laws. Thank you. And in the past several years, several states have actually in, um, enacted those extremist protection orders. In total, we actually have 21 states, and the District of Columbia have enacted their own forms of red flag laws. Um, if a person who is subject to such an order tries to buy a gun, from a federally licensed uh, firearm dealer, would the FBI approve or deny the sale? Well, I believe if the uh, order is uh, required by state law, making it a state prohibitor, uh, and therefore is uh, loaded into the NICS system, uh, then when the uh, background check is run, uh, when the uh, the FFL, the firearms, Federal Firearms Licensee, contacts NICS to, to proceed with the sale. Uh, that would pick up the, um, the so-called protected the order that you're talking about. Uh, and if that's a prohibitor, then that would block the transaction, is my understanding. So in the absence of an application or applicable state law, is there a way for the FBI agent to seek an order under federal law? I'm not aware of any federal law to that effect. Exactly. If an FBI agent has information that someone has been violent many times in the past but is not able to seek a criminal conviction, is there a way for the FBI to deny the sale of a gun to that person? We only deny sales for people who are prohibited by law from possessing firearms. My bill, the Federal Extreme uh, Risk Protection Order Act, which was passed by the House last Congress, would provide Americans in all states access to these truly life-saving measures. I have reintroduced this, this bill again this term. Last summer, Congress also passed the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, uh, among other critical gun um, violence pro uh, provisions in that. The legislation begins to address the problem of gun trafficking. What steps has the FBI taken to implement or utilize this new law that actually helps to stop gun trafficking? Well, we're, uh, we're of course, working closely with the Justice Department to implement all the provisions of the law that relate to NICS in particular. Uh, the place that's had, that has, a, has had the biggest impact on us uh, is certainly on the additional checks that now uh, would be run for the 18 to 20-year-olds. Um, and we started implementing that last October. It was fully implemented starting in, in January, uh, and it's a big change uh, for us and for the state agencies that are on the receiving end uh, of the request for information, uh, as well as for the FFLs, both the big stores and the mom and pops. It's a, it's a big change in the system. I think we've done about 
100,000 or so uh, checks of this 18 to 20, in other words, U21 uh, group that we're talking about since the implementation of the, of the act. Those are not all denials, to be clear. <laughs> Most, in fact, the vast, vast, vast majority of them were, were sales that appropriately proceeded. Um, but there were some that were, of course, denials based on the, on the statute. Thank you so much. I'm out of time. Time of the gentleman has expired. The gentleman from Texas is recognized. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, thank you, Director Ray, for appearing. Uh, Brian Auten was one of the FBI intelligence analysts who interviewed Igor Danchenko, the principal source of the Steele dossier, in January 2017, correct? Uh, I, I believe that's in the Durham report. Uh, and, and Danchenko explained that the dossier allegations were BS, yet the FBI did not reveal that to the FISA court. Instead, the FBI continued to use those allegations in two more sworn FISA applications about President Trump and Putin, correct? Well, again, I want to let Mr. Durham's report speak for itself. Okay, but as director of the FBI, that's, those are the facts of the FBI under your watch. The FBI well, conducted... Well, no, no, sir, I'm sorry. Just, it's important. Not under my watch. Those are the facts. I'm getting, I'm, getting to the part, I'm getting to the part under your watch. Okay. The FBI conducted an internal investigation of Auten and sought to suspend him, but Auten appealed, Correct. I, I can't discuss a specific pending personnel matter. Okay, well, according to recent reports, those are the facts. Nevertheless, in 2020, after Senators Grassley and Johnson highlighted evidence of potential financial crimes and corruption against the Biden family, the FBI assigned Auten to compile an assessment which was used to characterize the Biden revelations as Russian disinformation. The evidence Grassley and Johnson had collected were mostly financial records and could easily have been corroborated as authentic. And by then... The FBI had the Hunter laptop in its possession for over a year, so it knew the lucrative payments of the Bidens from corrupt and anti-American regimes were authentic. How on earth did the FBI empower an agent under investigation for potentially corrupt performance and abuse of FISA in one politically fraught investigation, a Democrat operative-driven case against President Trump, to play a key role and to undermine a second politically fraught investigation, a case against the Bidens. How's that possible? How can you allow that to occur in the Federal Bureau of Investigation, as my colleagues on the other side of the aisle say, the elite law enforcement agency of the United States? How does that occur? I can't, at the moment, discuss a pending personnel matter. Uh, I can tell you that every employee who in any way touched uh, the Crossfire Hurricane matter uh, has been referred to our Office of Professional Responsibility, our discipline. Are you concerned about these, this activity by the FBI and what was communicated to the FISA court? Does that concern you as the director of the FBI? I consider the conduct that was described in the Durham report as totally unacceptable and unrepresentative of what I see from the FBI every day and must never be allowed to happen again. And have there been consequences as a result? Is Mr. Auten... Uh, had, has he had consequences? Well, again, I can't speak to pending personnel matters. As you would perhaps remember from your own time in law enforcement, because we were working closely with Mr. Durham and I assigned agents to help him, at his request, we slowed down the administrative process to allow his investigation to complete itself. Now that it is complete, our personnel processes are very much ongoing. Well, I think it is more than troubling that under your watch, we see that this continued to occur and you have Auten being continued to be empowered after there was an investigation and after there was an effort by the FBI to look into why he would go to the FISA court and give wrong information. I mean, 
the issue here has been wrapped up in a cloud of politics. But the fact is the American people deserve to know how the FISA court is being abused and how it's being abused against the former president and against them. In light of the reports that we saw Mr. Johnson from Louisiana put forward, there was in a court filing and a court report. I want to move on to another topic. On September 23rd, 2022, 20 heavily armed agents stormed the home of Mark Houck. You're familiar with this? I'm familiar with the Houck case a little bit, yes. And uh, this was after Mr. Houck's lawyer reached out and said he would appear voluntarily because the incident in question occurred almost in a year earlier in October of 2021. So a year earlier. And the question here I have, local authorities investigated the incident but concluded there was no case. After the jury met for roughly an hour, Houck was acquitted. How on earth did Mark Houck end up having the FBI send several armed agents along with local authorities to arrest him at gunpoint? And do you approve it? Did you approve of that? Well, let me start where you ended. Decisions about the manner uh, of an arrest are not something that the FBI director approves. I defer to and rely on the judgment of the experienced career agents on the ground who have both the most intimate understanding of the facts and of the training experience to decide how best to effectuate an arrest. Do you know who, who did order it? And my understanding is that that arrest was conducted in our Philadelphia division uh, by career agents with a combined 40 years of do, FBI experience. Do you experience. approve of the raid now in retrospect? Well, do you think it was appropriate? It, do you think it was appropriate for a father to have armed FBI agents along with local agents go to his home, arrest him at gunpoint for alleged violation of the FACE Act a year after the alleged incident, after the father had said through his lawyer that he would appear voluntarily, do you believe that FBI agents should go to the home of a father in Philadelphia suburbs? I'm not going to second-guess the judgment of the career agents on the ground who made the determination. But your, your, your job is to second-guess and look at, at what they are doing. Your job is to review what they do. Your job is to protect the American people from a tyrannical FBI storming the home of an American family. I could not disagree more with your description of the FBI as tyrannical. Uh, and you I don't believe it's tyrannical that, your that FBI agents were a part of storming a father's home in, the in suburban Philadelphia? I'm the gentleman. Chairman. Time of the gentleman's expired. The witness may respond, and then we'll move to our next witness. Sir, our next, respectfully, uh, member. they did not storm his house. They came to his door. They knocked on his door and identified themselves. They asked him to exit. He did without incident. Whenever our agents, well, not at gunpoint, whenever our agents conduct an arrest, they are armed. Our agents are armed virtually all the time, as you may remember from your own experience as a prosecutor. Uh, the gentleman yields back. The ranking member has a unanimous consent request. I ask unanimous consent that this document uh, be placed in the record. That's pretty, that's not, not too I ask specific. consent to enter the full January 15th. 2021 email thread between Bank of America and the FBI that is about threats to Inauguration Day instead of the edited version that was shown on I'm the I'm happy. Show. I'm happy to have that into the record. Uh, we, without objection, we champion that. We're going to bring that up again here if we get a, get a chance. Uh, the gentlelady from Pennsylvania is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Director Ray, uh, good to see you. I thank you for being here today. Uh, and I just want to remind those who are watching at home or here in the room uh, that we are here as an oversight function. Uh, we are not here as a political tool. 
uh, to hammer you or your 38,000 uh, public servants, uh, law enforcement men and women, uh, and to try to use you politically. Uh, but it surely doesn't feel that way all the time during this. So I thank you for your service. Uh, I thank the men and women for their service. I have a, a first cousin, technically I guess a first cousin-in-law, who for a very long time in the Philadelphia suburbs served as an FBI agent with integrity and honor. Uh, so I think of him, I think of Jack today as I'm doing this. I read your testimony often, over and over, you state the mission uh, of FBI to protect the American people and uphold the Constitution of the United States. Twofold. Protect the American people, uphold the Constitution. Do it by the rule of law. That's what we should be asking about. Are we doing that to the best of our ability? I want to use and examine the case of the Mar-a-Lago documents because it's been used uh, by the former president as a pitying moment, uh, as though he has somehow been victimized, uh, but none of that is normal. Um, these are serious times, and your people have serious missions about the safety of the American people and doing it lawfully. Uh, Director Ray, a ballroom, a bathroom, a bedroom, are those appropriate places to store classified confidential information? Well, again, I don't want to be commenting on the pending case, but I will say that there are specific rules about where to store classified information and that those need to be stored in a SCIF, a secure compartmentalized information facility. And uh, in my experience, Ballrooms, bathrooms, and bedrooms are not skiffs. Mine too. Uh, and yet that is where the former president chose to put vital information about our national security. He exacerbated the risk, as alleged in the damning 37-count uh, indictment, uh, by evading law enforcement and allegedly even showing some of these classified documents to others who were not either in a skiff or up to having this these informations uh, sent to him. It was January 20th, having lost the election, 2021, when at noon, Mr. Trump had to leave the White House. And of course, uh, it's shown in the affidavit and in um, the um, uh, indictment that he left with quite a few boxes. May of 2021, the National Archives emailed requesting the missing documents from Ms. Mr. Trump. His lawyer said uh, that he would provide them and then never did. January 18 of 2022, so we're talking a full year later, Mr. Trump finally turned over 15 boxes. 14 of them contained documents with classified markings, 30 documents top. When it comes to stubborn belly fat, we're all searching for a miracle pill. Generally, you have to use multiple products that target belly fat differently to manage excess weight around the stomach. Some products may focus on abdominal exercises or dietary changes, while others might focus on boosting metabolism or controlling cravings. But believe it or not, I may have found a solution that removes the need for juggling through multiple weight management products. It's called Belly Trim, and it's more effective at targeting belly fat, enhancing metabolism, and promoting a toned midsection better than most weight management products I've seen typically found on store shelves. Tens of thousands of five-star reviews back up the notion that Belly Trim is not only a breakthrough in a bottle, but that it also removes the need for us to use countless diet pills and fat-burning supplements. But there's more. If you place your order for Belly Trim now, you'll also receive 51% off free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, two free new e-books titled Top 10 Foods That Burn Belly Fat, and Top 10 Exercises to Reduce Belly Fat, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee, and last but not least, free shipping. Simply go to www.trimwithus.com. That's www.trimwithus.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's www.trimwithus.com. Order now. 
energy bills are rising at a historic rate, and there's no end in sight. Talk to enough people, and you'll soon realize nearly everyone's shocked at their recent electricity bills. Some studies reveal energy costs have skyrocketed by as high as 60% in as little as two years. That's why tens of thousands are installing this magical little device from SavePowerBills.com to help slash their energy bills. This sophisticated gadget stabilizes electrical currents, reduces dirty electricity, and helps protect your appliances and electronics. Simply plug it into your home's wall outlet to help lower energy consumption and ultimately help reduce your power bills every month. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this device is one of the most efficient ways to save money while beating the greedy power companies. But there's more. If you order now, you'll also receive 65% off, fast shipping within the USA, hassle-free returns, and last but not least, a 60-day satisfaction guarantee. Just go to SavePowerBills.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. Once again, that's SavePowerBills.com. Violent crime across the U.S. has skyrocketed. Just recently, a politician was carjacked by three armed attackers outside his home in Washington, D.C. This comes several months after another politician was assaulted in the elevator of her building. Between mass shootings, kidnappings, burglaries, and carjackings, it's never been more vital to learn how to protect yourself. This is why tens of thousands are choosing the Fighter Flare Flashlight. The Fighter Flare Flashlight has awed people with a wonderful design and massive light output. On top of an ultra-bright 800-lumen light, it boasts powerful strobe lighting modes for self-defense, a glass-breaking hammer, a built-in power bank, solar-powered recharging, rope cutter, siren, and much more. Countless five-star reviews back up the notion that this flashlight is the latest and greatest in the EDC market. But there's more. If you place your order for the Fighter Flare flashlight now, you'll also receive 66% off, free express shipping, and last but not least, a 100% lifetime guaranteed replacement. Simply go to www.fighterflare.com to take advantage of this limited-time deal before they sell out. www.fighterflare.com. Order now.